kind of coffee do you have? It's some type of Mexican coffee. It came from this place called the Home Ground uh, Deli and Coffee Bar. Is it like a Chiapas or a Oaxaca? It is a Chiapas. We're, really? I nailed it on the first that? try? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Man. What's that about? Uh, well, that's a state um, uh-huh. in Mexico. Uh, but uh, Chiapas is at the very bottom of the country down there. I think, uh-huh. it, you know, bordering with uh, Guatemala. Like Zayuatamayo uh, type zone? Mm, down there? No. I... Don't remember off the top of my head where Zihuatanejo is. I think that's in Oaxaca, right? I, uh, that's where they went in Shawshank Redemption. Like, so that's that's what everybody I think thinks of <laughs> the United States. Like, it's way south Mexico, right? Like somewhere. Yeah, Chiapas is down there, bro. I got some really good friends. Actually, uh, I got a fellow gamer friend. I call him. Uh, well, his name is Angel, but I always call him Angelito de mi corazón because I love the guy. I think he hates it when I call him that, though. <laughs> it means, like, in my Dude, heart or something. He, uh, a little angel of my heart. Well, his name is Angel, right? You know, Angel. Uh, okay. Angelito de mi corazón. And uh, if you hear this, Angel, I'm not taking this out. Man. This is staying in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Dude, man, he's man. a savage, man. He, he'll game the shit out of a, a console, man. Like he, like he's the. Remember when we were talking about in that one episode how there's some Warzone guys that'll just come out of like every round with like at least twelve, thirteen, fifteen kills. Angelito de mi corazón is one of those savages. I can't imagine what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I do watch uh, streamers, you know, and, and such that seem to be getting those kind of numbers. But great day. Yeah, man. You know you what it's like for me. Two, three kills and I'm... Hey, we were having some fun in those last few rounds. It has been fun. I've got to start moving when I'm shooting. Like, I kind of just stand there, like, and I'm pretty sure that's what's going wrong, but... Um, well, the last few rounds we've been playing, uh, these last couple of days have been real fun, man, and we've been getting some kills. That game is fun. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a good game to jump into when you just need some immediate action. Yeah. You know, especially when we're playing all those survival games, it's good to switch over and just like, get in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does get the heart going. I wonder what the new update's about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I did let that finish up. I do have that. So um, I'm excited to look into that and see what they what they changed up. Man, speaking of updates. Uh, well, Hold on, let's let's get this let's get this party started, and uh, and then we can ha- chit chat a little bit before before jumping into the topic of today. Uh, welcome, listeners, gamers, non-gamers, PVEers, PVPers, and even NPCs. We do not discriminate. We're happy to have you here. This is the New Wave Gaming Podcast with your hosts Chuck Tomahawk. Say hi, Chuck. Hey, what's up, Bill Bucks? <laughs> Welcome, listeners. Yeah, and uh, uh, and myself, another co-host of this amazing podcast, Ovox here, reporting for duty. Uh, and in this podcast, we like to talk about basically old gaming stuff, retro gaming, gaming consoles, games themselves, uh, experiences that uh, that we enjoyed from our our gaming lives back in the day and relate them to gaming today and how it's all evolved and the new experiences that we have with online gaming and all these different consoles and gosh there's so many topics that we want to get into but that's pretty much 
what we like to talk about here. And um, we may use cheat codes from time to time, which is basically Google, just to make sure we're not completely off topic or making stuff up. But otherwise, that's what we like to get into. And that's, uh, well, Tomahawk, what are we going to talk about today, man? I know this has been an important one for you. You've been wanting to dive into this. The Bust Commodore 64. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's really surprised me how, how much interest there is out there. I knew I had some, some sweet memories as a kid from it. And, uh, you know, it's really put my memories in perspective now that I, I kind of have a larger view of, of what it was and has become. Uh, so, yeah. And I, I think one of the interesting things for me is, too, I, I found that this might be where, um, you know, maybe I started thinking about console versus PC, um, you know, and which games I liked the most. So, mm. so yeah, I'm excited to get into into that a little bit later on. And uh, yeah, hadn't, I'm excited uh, as well, man. This was a fun one to research, and the amount of information out there, and the amount of resources and and games. Holy tamale, the amount of games yeah. and just <laughs> everything. This was a real fun topic to. To, to look at, especially for me as a person that's never never touched one, at least according to my memory, I don't remember ever getting my hands on one of these things. So it was really fun to look at and, uh, and just see how much there was regarding this, uh, this, this computer. Yeah. I, I mean, just, just in that, I, uh, I, I thought it was a console, to be honest with you, when you first mentioned it. <laughs> you know, it kind of bridges that gap a little bit you know you've got the cartridge port so um so yeah uh, yeah you're right about that yeah but hey uh real quick real quick um before we get moving forward here quick shout out to uh to some subscribers there on the youtube we're really stoked to have your uh to have you subscribing and uh checking out the videos there on youtube we're also on spotify apple podcasts and all the major platforms. Um, if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, thank you very much. We hope you enjoy the content. And yeah, a huge shout out to. Uh, let me pull this, pull this up right here. I should have had this already open, but well, we're just really stoked and appreciative. Yeah, a huge shout out to Stephen Durant, uh, dropping some love on YouTube from the UK. I think that's like one of our first international listeners. Uh, yeah. Appreciate it, and a huge shout out to NGP Odd Gaming for showing the love there on YouTube as well. We appreciate it. And um, honestly, to all the other followers on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the other subscribers we have here, honestly, I'd name every one of you sexy people out. I'd name you out if your names were here. But all that information is hidden. These are the only names popping up. So lots of love. Thank you guys for checking us out. And yeah, as an independent podcast, that's really, we uh, depend on that, um, on those reviews, those likes, those subscribes just to get the word out. If you enjoy the content or if you know anyone that might like these uh, conversations that we have, please feel free to, to share it out there. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely appreciate that too. And uh, I, I'd love to know more about the gaming scene in UK. Uh, it seems like we're running into those folks on ARC servers and uh, here on the podcast as well. So, Man, just with, uh, with Commodore 64, there's a lot here involving, uh, you know, the UK. And I think the the PAL format, which we can touch on in a little bit, uh, they had. It sounds like they had access to a lot of games that we didn't in the U.S. or that the U.S. didn't have access to, rather, or yeah. at least not at least not easily. 
Yeah, it's interesting how how these things get marketed differently in in different countries and sort of have a different uh, uh, sort of outcome because of that. But uh, well, sweet. Well, hey, before we jump into it, uh, you got anything out there? Any news? Anything you wanted to chit chat about before we uh, get rolling, man? I got to tell you, I, I got some news for you, but please. <laughs> no, you go first. The, do tell, man. I have been struggling with uh, with my PlayStation subscription renewal. I uh, yeah. I usually yeah I usually what I I like to just get a card. You know, every every year I'll go for the twelve months for the PlayStation Plus subscription, just to not have to worry about it. You know, and you get a better deal at the at the end of the day. And uh, I've never been a big fan of putting credit card info into the system, so I just get those cards. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, fist pump will help me with that. He'll get one, scratch it, send me the code and everything. And man, this time it didn't work. And that's, uh, it never happened to me before, you know, mm-hmm. not, not trying to cheat the system or anything like that at all. We literally just scratched it off, typed the codes in and it hasn't been working and called the folks at PlayStation. They're super kind and helpful, but, uh, they had to bump it up to the next level. It sounds like, and I'm supposed to get an email, but mm-hmm. until I get that email and can follow up, I'm, uh, I'm stuck, man. I can't. I can't. I can't see you on the ark. I can't see you in, in the no man's no sky. sky. <laughs> yeah, you kind of like got me all naked and like didn't do anything to me there on no man's sky. I, I, I started having fun. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I got you naked. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be a little. Damn. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I guess like what I'm saying is I was having fun there, and I, I've been back a couple times since. Um, I tried to get some resources on me, so you weren't having to hand me every every last thing I needed to get my <laughs> starship started there. But uh, yeah, that's a deep game, man. Wow, No Man's it, Sky, it's nuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you think you've seen it all with Ark and all these other games we've been playing. But they each, in their own way, are are quite, quite deep. Yeah, I kind of like like I didn't follow the mission very much more. Like I, I just kind of went went around looking for resources and, like I say, just trying to get myself like squared away, um, so so that I'd have a few you know carbon nanotubes and things like that on me um, next time that we started to play. But I, I got up in the air and, the, and the, these sentinel things like started following me and. I thought, like, I'll get my starship and shoot them, and boy, that was a bad idea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like oh, you shooting at us, boy? <laughs> Turns out they got starships, too. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and they kind of have that, like, when you when you fight the Sentinels in No Man's Sky, which are this NPC mm, that they kind of patrol the planets and stuff, but uh, they'll attack you. And when they do, you'll notice that there's kind of like this Grand Theft Auto thing going on where there's like a bunch of stars up on the top. But they're not stars, though. They're like these little red circles, and there's five of them. Just, as, just like in Grand Theft Auto, you know how there's five little stars when you piss off the police? <laughs> Same thing, man, in this game. You piss off the Sentinels, and you'll see it like one, two, three, four, five. And then all of a sudden, you got a whole fleet of little Sentinels attacking your little starship. Yeah. Yeah, the last one <laughs> they attacking your like little a, starfish. A mud circle <laughs> like they're at the end of those red circles because, like, man, once they got mad, <laughs> <laughs> they're coming for you. <laughs> I felt like once I got back in my base, it, it chilled them out though. Like, like somehow they couldn't see me in there or whatever yeah, they, level. Like got like chilled up. They chilled out once I got in there. Like, but up until then, I thought I was gonna lose my ship, and like I was just like, guys, this is gonna be hard to explain. <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully you get that uh, squared away. You think it's like like a because like you're in, in a different country or something? Like there's some kind of country code? No, the gentleman that I spoke with on from PlayStation said that uh, that it happens from time to time and that it likely has something to do with their updating the pl- uh, PlayStation Plus platform. You know how they're they're about to release the new uh, the new system like mid June where they're going to have the essential premium and those different packages. So he said it might have something to do with that. But what I'm going to do is just keep an eye out for that email. And in the meantime, I've been playing some Rust. You know, Rust yeah. is always a, a nerve wracker. So that's <laughs> been a little fun. <laughs> and I've been playing some. Uh, some city skylines, which is like a, a city building simulator, which is really nice. It's a lot better than SimCity, if you ask me. But I've yeah. been joining some other games while, uh, while waiting for that to resolve itself, hopefully soon. Because in the meantime, yeah, like I mentioned, can't play with you guys on the PlayStation. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of hard. I, I, I've definitely still been on the Ark on, on the PlayStation a whole bunch. But uh, kind of, like I said, getting ready on No Man's Sky there a little bit and... Uh, that's really been it. Like, like, I haven't really played a lot else. Like that darn arc. I, I'm looking for Tech Rexes on there right now. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, man. it's like I've asked Mickey like where he gets the good ones, and, and he says he says Genesis, and I think he's telling me like Gen Two, I think maybe, and that's where I've been looking. But I feel like maybe the center might be be my spot is is where I've saw the most. But something tells me he's holding that one crucial information on that one no he's right there's a spot there on that map where there's a lot of tech creatures in general but it's also a very dangerous spot is it gen 2 or genesis i think it's genesis okay yeah there's like a section i think where it's like you're basically on like an asteroid or on the moon or something okay yeah yeah yeah. so you go there I don't know and see i'm afraid to go there like because i've never (laughs) been and like I've, i've read like like it's nuts yeah, yeah, I, I'll probably die there. Is like what I was getting at. So, so yeah, that does make sense then, because like, I, I don't know. Like, I just felt like, like he seems to come back with them pretty fast. You know, like like once he decides he's going to get them, like he'll come back with a breeding pair. And like, man, I've been looking for those things, and and like I find three or four each time I go, but like only one of them will have decent numbers you know like it yeah i think like our current server goes up to 250 something for uh tech creatures so um i've gotten a 235 and i found a 243 and it and it walked into the lava like while i was taming it like i was so sad fabulous (laughs) fabulous does that remind you of the quetzal with the water (laughs) yeah a lot like i tell you though I'm, i'm ready for the quetzal's like, like I'm going to tame a, a, a horse and, and I'm going to have that, la- like I've been getting lassos and drops, so I'm going to be ready for that situation. Like there's a way to fix that. Like as long as the sharks or anything don't get him, you can lasso him and pull him out of the water. I've, I've watched videos. So. <laughs> oh, um, damn, I didn't know that. Something else they have on this server, uh, and I'll quit talking about ARC if I can say this one more thing, but uh, <laughs> they have, they have uh, like a horse racing league, and I, I think it's today. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to say it's this evening sometime. Like, like they've got a track set up and like, maybe the, the guy that's running the server provides the horses, but, but we're, we're going to race horses. I, I think, uh, <laughs> Man, he better provide the horses. Otherwise, anyone that shows up can have like a super, you know, max level horse that's been, you know, mutated a million times over. 
yeah. super fast. <laughs> Be like a horse that with mana armor speed. <laughs> I, I, there's some win. part like they have like something called the last man standing thing, like where I think you can bring like you know whatever you've done to your dino. Like, like they'll they'll pick a dino and and like you know you show up with with your you know best one, and and it's kind of like a little place to get some PvP action in on that that PVE server. But dude, I've been like like just speaking in general survival games, like we talked about. In our last episode, I've been on this PVE and like it's so much more relaxing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I certainly see the benefit, you know, and, and excitement of the PVP, but man, it is so nice to just not worry about that, you know. Something I enjoyed about the PVE server was uh, the ability to have that and still play PVP. So that even if even if stuff goes wrong in PvP and you wake up one morning and everything's been raided and you don't even have a base left, you can always just be like, ah, damn, that sucks. But you can always like respawn in your PVE base, you know, and everything's gonna be there. And at least you can yeah. like like lean on it as like a support. <laughs> like at least I got this place. <laughs> <laughs> one interesting yeah. thing too is like I've had a lot more contact with other players on the server than I've ever had. Like like since it is. PVE and, and honestly, like I think it'll still let you attack someone else, but it doesn't hurt them, and it shows the damage in red, kind of like. And uh, I was getting eggs on Ragnarok the other day, and and this guy like slipped up behind me, and and I thought he was a wild dragon, so I started just gnawing on him, and and he typed in the the thing like "you good," like and and I was, <laughs> like I mean, we almost got a fight started, like. <laughs> yeah, but you can't though because it's PVE. Right, and and it's actually like I think prevented. Like we can't damage each other even if we want to or whatever. But yeah. like, uh, I was just kind of like, what did you think I was gonna do? Like I'm in here like surviving like my life. Like you know, I'm on a tropical wyvern and lightning wyverns are flying up on me. Like you know, what do you think I'm gonna do? Like I'm gonna bite first and ask questions later. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, but that's PVE though. You're not gonna get anywhere, man. That's the thing about PVE is that you know. Yeah. That's yeah. why I ended up leaving it. Eventually it was like, well, I've done every single thing that you can do in this little uh PvE scene. And then you you want that anxiety back like we talked about in the survival episode. Yeah. Eventually yeah. it'll get boring for you, man. Sorry it, to It will. <laughs> it will. I think it's just allowing me to kind of explore some of the options, you know, what I might do and and that kind of thing and maybe like and Mickey hasn't been on a ton lately, so I may end up doing those boss fights alone, but I hope he gets back on and like, sees those tech rexes and kind of wants to get involved in that. But I think he's been playing uh, maybe some Apex Legends or something lately. So, um, But yeah. But not like I, I did kind of have like some little micro-topic things that I thought might be fun to talk about. Like one of the things I meant to talk about last week that I'd forgotten is uh, I was I was doing some research and I saw these prisoners like in in jail playing a, a video game system and I'm pretty sure it was a PlayStation and uh, I just thought that was an interesting question like you know like should prisoners be allowed to do that and and then like it also made me think like well if you did say so that they could like. You know, would you restrict certain games like Grand Theft Auto and things like that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, could there possibly be like some, you know, in the opposite of Grand Theft Auto, like some type of rehabilitation, you know, type thing? Um, yeah, man, it depends. It's all about that good behavior. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know? I know. I like, damn, man. man. Homeboy made like 50 license plates the other day. We got to hook him up with that. Ang- Angry Birds, too. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, just like sitting in a cell like that with nothing to do and, and versus not having a PlayStation versus having a PlayStation? It would be unreal. Like, I would be... I'd do whatever I had to do, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that is, you know, I don't know. I think uh, it's a situational thing, like, depends on the inmate, you know, whether they can have access to stuff like that. Uh, There can probably be a real clear-cut answer or maybe a not-so-clear-cut answer, you know. It depends. Yeah. I think some people feel like, you know, inmates should suffer and that kind of thing and, and, you know, pay for their crimes and shouldn't have TV and, and, you know, everything should be tough for them. But I also think that person's going to come out of there someday if, if, you know, if their crime isn't like, you know, a life sentence type thing. And, you know, maybe if if they can reintegrate in society and kind of, you know, learn some social skills, things like that, that you you can on online, maybe, maybe. Probably not online, you know. I imagine they would they would exploit that somehow. But uh, um, yeah, maybe. What games friendly. were they playing? I think what? it might have been like a sports game or something like basketball, or and I could see that being okay. But yeah, Grand Theft Auto, like that's just. <laughs> you have any other games that come to mind that you don't think they should be playing up in uh, in state <laughs> lockdown? <laughs> Probably not that. Uh, I think I found a game on this. Like the games on this Commodore thing are, are limitless. I, there's a game like, oh, man, called well, Sex or something. Isn't oh, it? you saw that Sex <laughs> yeah. Games? What is up with Sex Games? I'm pretty sure they shouldn't be allowed to play Sex like, Games. I, I saw that too, man. In the picture, like I, I'm like I gotta see the cover art of this game, and there's a picture of it. There's a picture of a guy that's got fucking half of his girth worm down this. You know. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it, but oh yeah! Oh. <laughs> oh god, that reminds me of my new. Once once I get tired of, of Chuck Tomahawk, I'm gonna change my gamer name to Girthquake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> uh, That's the new one. I don't know. Yeah. Chuck Tomahawk's such a great name, man. I don't know. It is, know. but I think they'd be doing some dirty things with that sex game like i i saw this thing once like where oh yeah it's probably too something we shouldn't get too explicit to go into but like they were they were like people were drawing pornography on the wall essentially like and you know people were viewing it like they were looking at playboys or something and yeah so with like uh with with art programmed using the commodore no, they were just like hand drawing it, like with a sharpie on their prison wall. Oh, in the prison, it, it looked pretty good. I mean, you can imagine if you didn't have anything else. <laughs> just you know, get a dull a dull knife and dig a little hole into the picture on the wall. <laughs> Got a lot of time on your hand there in jail. Yeah. Name it Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing against that name. It's like, hey, man, I'll give you two of these ramen soups if you draw me a picture of uh, Katy Perry. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, So maybe, uh, I don't know, video games in prison, maybe not the best idea. (laughs) Where did you spot that, or why did that that come into your radar? Oh, that's a good question. Like, I, I, I forget exactly what it was. I've always kind of enjoyed, like, I have no in, 
like desire to go to prison or do anything wrong, but uh, illegal or anything like that. But prison shows like kind of fascinate me, like the ones on like National Geographic and that kind of thing. So it may have showed up on my for you page or something like that on TikTok because of that. But I think it might have just been like a YouTube video or something like that. But uh, fair enough. Well, yeah. Watch Prison Break if you haven't seen it yet. Prison Break. What is that? Is that a? Like it's a, a movie? series. It's a series. It's. Uh, I don't remember when it was from. I know it's not going anymore. I think it was like five seasons, maybe, maybe less, maybe more. But if you haven't seen it, jot that one down. Yeah, you'll, you'll love it. I, I think I may have saw that like like advertised on Discovery Channel or something. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was a, a funny question to think about. But uh, um, uh, do you remember like what your first computer experience was? Like, like what kind of computer it was, and yeah, what you were doing. So, my first computer—I I can't say first computer experience, but I can. My first computer memories kind of formulate around. Uh, a very large PC that we had when we lived in Oregon. And this is early 90s. It was a very, very big machine. You know, it had the huge square box monitor and it had a huge hard drive that sat, you know, like up to the, your knee of like a grown, you know, person, like a big old hard drive. And it wasn't, you know, that we're talking about the early 90s. It wasn't one of those badass Corsair beautiful like gaming pc hard drives you see today with all the tubing and wiring nice and like you know with neon lights inside and giant fans just no we're talking about some huge heavy hard drive back in the day and i we started with i think it was like windows 2.0 or 3.0 or something like that it may have been may have been windows 95 but it was one of the very first Windows operating systems. And my first gaming memories on that formulate around, I think it was called Minesweeper. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely Solitaire, of course. And 3D Pinball. I think those were the games that were available there. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, a huge part of that, not that it's related to gaming, but a huge part of that PC memory those first memories was when internet first came out you know and that whole dial-up system of accessing the internet where it would make those sounds you know that (laughs) (laughs) like yeah and then it would say you are connected it's like whoa (laughs) i'm online (laughs) yeah fist pump yeah um so those that's kind of like where it began for me. And however, I do remember uh, a, guy, a friend of the family back in the day. I think I mentioned him before, uh, Johnny G. This guy mm-hmm. was a legend, man. This guy's a legend. He had the first Nintendo, but uh, he also had, I think, it was the Apple II. Holy cow! Yes, I believe so. It was an Apple computer. Um, and I remember seeing that before we ever had that PC at our place. So that is my first, first, first memory of seeing a, a home computer device. Okay. What about you? Yeah. You You've know, been on the planet a little bit longer than Ovox. Yeah. 
honestly, for me, you know, we talked a little bit how the Intellivision kind of tried to fill that role. I I never had that that component for my my Intellivision. So in my case, it was our topic today. The Commodore 64 was my first computer. I I mean, I guess technically you could say I had a... uh, uh, like a really fancy calculator that they made. Like I think Tandy made it at, at some point there that, that um, you know, it was a bit of a computer. But, yeah, as far as, you know, sitting down at a monitor with the keyboard, um, this, it was this this thing right here, the the, the Commodore 64. If, uh, How did it come into your uh, life, Tomahawk, the Commodore? I... I tried to think was about it one that of those, as I was researching it, yeah. and I feel like it has to be Kmart. Like it, the, there was the Kmart there in, in Rogersville. There was no Walmart back in those days, and I, and I think they made a choice. Like I want to say maybe the Vic Twenty wasn't marketed exactly like this, but they made a choice to go into department stores like that, and so it was there in the electronics department of of the Kmart, and I just you know I'm. It, it wasn't like a it wasn't a Christmas scenario like you coming downstairs. There's a box there, kind of looks like the size of a bread bin or a bread basket type of type of deal. I would about have to say it. It had to be that way. You know, maybe as I got just a little bit older, my parents might might do that thing like where they're like, "Hey, this is your Christmas present. Like we're we're not gonna you know go through that whole thing. You can go ahead and get it now, and and you know we'll just say this is for Christmas." But so so I don't have a, like a clear memory of like opening it or anything like that. But I do remember, you know, that time period of getting it, and I would say it was probably around eighty one or so, like nineteen eighty one. So I would have been uh, right at ten years old, and. I know the, that like the, it, it was linked to like like my dad like was always encouraging me to do things to sort of grow as a person. So so part of it like like he was wanting me to take Spanish lessons at the Catholic church that that was in our town and and uh, muy bien thing, muy bien. He wanted me to learn how to in his uh, uh, his word for it was to work a computer like i don't know how you work a computer <laughs> yeah li- yeah but little we know tom Hogg, you probably came to work the hell out of that commodore right yeah but, i was working it all right but it, wait uh you said 81 um it must have been 82 right because uh and maybe this is a great segue we can just uh get get going into this is uh yeah i think it came out there. didn't it come out in 82 I, I had some information like that. I think there was a uh, electronic show there in January of '82. I, I, I think it was conceptualized around like 1979. But far as I want to say August of '82, after that January introduction at that um, show there in Las Vegas, it came out in in August of '82. So you're exactly right. So I would have been around 11. Um, Hell and yeah. I, I feel like it got, you know, once it was marketed to to. Like you didn't have to go to a specialty electronics store; you just went to the Kmart to get it. Uh, I'm sure that that's probably when I got it. And and man, that thing wasn't cheap. Um, you know, this is another place where I've got to thank my parents, like because I, I I read some numbers in that time frame. It was around five hundred ninety five dollars. Yep, um, it was released uh, in August when you mentioned um, it hit the hit retail at uh, five hundred ninety five bucks. Whew, wow. Yeah. What is and that today? I want to say, like, like I saw some numbers, like $1,200 or something like that. I, I've got it here in my notes somewhere. It, it's a it's a chunk of change. And I think, uh, 
you know, like I say, it, it had to be a Christmas present type situation and, and, um, you know, a really big purchase. And, and the other thing is, is like you, you're not done when you get that, like you're going to need some disc drives. You're going to need some sort of monitor. I, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. I got like the old, uh, TV, um, I think my dad had had as a bachelor or something like that. <laughs> he had this little black and white TV that that I got, and uh, you need you need a couple floppy disk drives to go with that thing at least. If you're going to copy games, you need two of them. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you know, so. when uh, physically, it looks like it's just a keyboard. Yeah. When I looked at the pictures of the of the main component. Not to be confused with the master component, which was the Intellivision episode, but the just the Commodore 64 itself looks just like a very tall, thick, long rectangular keyboard, right? Yeah, and that's pretty much it. In fact, I think the original uh, version of it they had a name for it because it looked like a bread basket. I think they were calling it the bread basket or the bread bin or something to that effect yeah i i figured that might be lost on some of our younger users like like because back in the day you had this thing in the kitchen that was where your bread went and um it was sort of um bread bin like maybe i think we had one for onions or something i i guess that still kind of exists to some degree but, <laughs> uh, but yeah <laughs> and and, and it was sort of like used as this universal size delineator, like something was considered small if it was smaller than a bread box. And if it was bigger than a bread box, you know, that was a size reference that you could use to, I don't know where that originated from, but it it, it is why I feel like they use that as, as a, as a reference. Um, Yeah. The original one had a, I think something I noticed that was singular about this or, or innovative was its keyboard. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you know nowadays you've got keyboards that that are mechanical keyboards that you can like you can go when I when I picked out my keyboard, there was like three or four different actions you could kind of have like some are a little more springy than others and and uh, you know it, it really had a nice keyboard uh, to begin with there, and and you also didn't have like sort of a standardization of that. I think you had typewriters to, to go from, but far as how this was going to be laid out with the function keys and the number keys, like we're, you know, this sort of layout that we're used to today, like, you know, they were kind of, you know, they're making that up on their own, um, you know, to absolutely to start that out. What was the, like, if we had to get all technical about it and start from square one, uh, how would we define what the Commodore 64 is? Like, you know, like, like if we get down to get down to business, what's inside this bad, bad boy, what is it? Especially for, especially for any of the younger listeners, like what, what are you guys even talking about? Commodore 64? (laughs) What is this? The Nintendo 64? Well, is it related? No, no relation. Pretty much described it. Like, like (laughs) it it is a, a home computer and it's, it's, it's got, it got, a number of ports on it, different ways that you can get into it. You've got a, uh, a floppy disk drive. You've got a tape drive port. You've got a, um, cartridge port. So, you know, I, I think this is the first in the beginning of, of 
personal computers. Like, like you had, you know, some other versions. Atari had kind of made a thing there a couple of years earlier. And uh, um, so it, it, it's... I think Apple had a, their computer out already, right? Apple had one out. And there was also, uh, I was looking at this, um, some, I think it's called the ZX Spectrum in the UK uh-huh. or in Europe. I might be wrong there, but one of those two, like Europe in general or just, uh, you know, the UK, they had another one out already. So that was, I think that was kind of like what the Commodore business company or Commodore International, that was kind of their idea, right? Was to create something uh, to get their piece of the market in there that was also more accessible in price to, to way more people, to a much larger market. They, al- yeah. they also, uh, I think they had a, it was part of their marketing, they had a catchphrase, um, Gosh darn! Let me find that real quick. Computing for the masses and not the classes. Yes, that's it. For the masses, <laughs> not the classes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I know I kind of danced around your question there. It, it's an it's an eight bit home computer it is is essentially you know the 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 short answer to that question. But I think what it's become and is. <sighs> I feel like one of the reasons I was really attracted to it was the good memories that I had from it. But I also recognize it was sort of like, like, like the beginning of programming for a lot of people. And I, and I feel like it kind of is, we we came to a point where you had like, like there was no user interface, no GUI, like general user interface here. Like, like other than you were there at the prompt Mm -hmm. and, since then we've we've gone into windows and a lot of that is kind of behind the scenes for most people and i i i feel like it's kind of like i read some articles of of why it stayed so popular is like it's it's a really accessible i think even like really good programmers like the challenges that are you know to to make a game for it um Mm -hmm. so um so yeah it's it's incredibly significant and you know besides having the good memories of it I, I think one of the reasons that that it's important that we talk about it is that the Guinness Book of World Records recognize it as the the best selling computer model of all time like single computer model um yeah I, is, when you first mentioned that uh if you remember, I, I kind of like was like, nah, man, that can't be true. You need to check that out and you need to make sure that's <laughs> before you mention that on the podcast. No, it is. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's broke records. Yeah, twelve to seventeen million units, I think, there at at, uh, at production. So, it yeah, incredibly significant, and you know, a lot a lot of really cool things have come out of it. Um, uh, that's something that I saw pop up a lot was the f- what you mentioned that basically you had a device here that became accessible to way more people because of its price, which now in retrospect we can look at, and I think we can both agree that it was still a hefty price when we mm-hmm. look at uh, the price of, of, of computing technology today and gaming consoles. I mean, technically gaming consoles sits in a different category because this was a computer, but, mm-hmm. you know, for, I think, at today's price, it was released in August of, of 1982 at $595, but today, that's about 1200 So I, I can say right now, for example, that my 
little humble gaming laptop here, which is like bottom of the barrel gaming laptops, was less money than twelve hundred. Yeah. You know, so that's and and this is it's it's a, it is a gaming laptop, so it you know it can it can hold its weight. So I just think in terms of money and pricing, um, you know, maybe that speaks to the economy back then a little bit too as well because uh, they're very clearly saying here that price was no longer, they were, they were looking at it as no longer an issue by lowering it to 595 So that's kind of interesting. I find that to be interesting, you know, the pricing there. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think you're kind of just seeing the beginnings of, of, of micro computing like where these things have become small enough i i think like uh one of the things i wanted to talk about was those zork games originally like that zork game was on a mainframe computer and to get it onto to this platform of the commodore 64 they had to break it into three parts and you think about the fact that those three parts like pretty much filled up like a, a computer that's the size of the room that i'm sitting in so you know, I mean, you're, you're, and that's you're a text-based game. Yeah, a huge leap forward, and and for something to, yeah, yeah, exactly. It has no graphics whatsoever, like, and so it's really a jump forward. And I think that's one of the reasons people were probably re- able to pay, willing to pay that price. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you also didn't have, um, you know, I feel like today, like. Like you could go onto Amazon probably and and type in. Like, like I guess my point is I could probably find a not like say if I was thinking of getting a, a a Game Boy, like I can find a knockoff Game Boy now or or you know some sort of uh, system like that. So so there was no other options. I guess is what I'm getting at is mm-hmm. is it wasn't like I could get this cheaper somewhere else or you know find some yep other version of it. Yeah, like it was in. Yeah, back then so, it was. So I think that increased the demand, which increases the price. Um, you know, you had you had a, a well, a yeah, new frontier kind of yeah. thing. Uh, what I was, what, what what my main uh, thought there, what I was going to get at um, beyond the the pricing. The, I mean, the pricing was huge because, um, I mean, if I don't have them here, I don't have. I should have written them down. But the Apple II at the time was going for over a thousand bucks for just the Apple II. And then the, I think it was the Sinclair um, was also going for a hefty price. It might not be the Sinclair, it may have been an IBM, I don't remember, but you can find this information online. But the Commodore sat at a much lower price. This is the Commodore mm-hmm. 64. Um, and they already had success with the VIC-20, and mm-hmm. they had success with the Commodore PET, which, which was the very first iteration, I believe. Um, so they were, they had some successful machinery with those. And I think when the Commodore 64 came out, they had the rep, they had the good history, we'll say. And this is, I'm just speculating here, but this is kind of just what I gathered from researching this. So the Commodore 64 came out at a great price. All these people had access to it. And, um, I think it created a generation. You kind of touched on this, like it opened the door to, a new generation of programmers because from what I gathered, this was a, a system where you basically turned it on and you had to make it work. Yeah. You, you, if you, if you acquired or purchased or were gifted or Santa came and dropped a Commodore 64 under the tree, you were accepting the task of becoming a programmer. 
Yeah. Because basically, I mean, you, you, see you, it you right turn it away. on. Exactly. Go, yeah. Well, you when can you speak go to, to load that. a game. Like you've got to type in like quotation mark star quotation mark comma load. Like, and if you put a space in there or hit the 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 period instead of the comma, it ain't going anywhere. <laughs> like, and, like you just paid. You know, you went to to the retail store there Kmart wherever you picked up the game you've gotten home with it and you're trying to load that bad boy and it ain't going anywhere and you know I, I think this is kind of a service that consoles provided for us that we didn't realize like it kind of made it user accessible but there's also something pretty darn cool about that um yeah I, I think at the time too like, like um like put yourself in that era of um the cold war so there there was this movie out um i can't remember the exact name of it but it, it kind of was a like had computers in, heavily involved in it and, and uh there was this kid and like he was hacking into that system and it, and it looks a lot like this like like you know it kind of gave you this um access to a whole new world that was kind of a man yeah, like you saw it, you knew it was going to be important in the future, and and I think that's what my dad was feeling. Like, you know, it's like we got to get this boy on this thing so he can, you know, excel in life later. Like, he's got to learn how to work a computer. Yeah, man, he's gonna have a he's gonna have a podcast going. in the future. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's gonna have to navigate, you know, audacity and all these things. Like, and and um. You you see that today, like like I, I find myself like as people talk about the metaverse and NFTs and a lot of things like I I kind of I put it through that lens of of when we were looking at this time from the eighties and I find that no one really knows. I mean, you can make some estimates like like you know just like he said it was he wanted me to learn Spanish and lo and behold I went to Mexico at some point and yeah it could have been better but I, I did have some idea um you know what i was getting into but uh um yeah it's hard to make those predictions oh and it's hard to it's hard to transmit the feeling you know like and th and this is coming from me as a person that was not uh you know i wasn't up in gaming in those years you know i my gaming uh life began in the early 90s so you know i was for me it was nintendo entertainment system Super Nintendo Entertainment System, Sega Genesis. These were the things that my world were, you know, formed around in the gaming aspect. But uh, <clears throat> I think what's hard to kind of like transmit and uh, is, especially for younger gamers, is that this was a time when like, I think color TVs were still hitting some homes, you know, like the whole, yeah. the whole digital, um, experience like looking at a tv seeing something transmitted uh and then the first um interactive systems coming out where you could interact with what you were seeing in the tv uh this this whole world like you just described was just brand spanking new and i think for Absolutely. any young kid or, or young gal um you know young, young boy or young girl um to just gosh i can't even imagine what it must have been like you know to experience these things for the first time of their own existence like 
not just as a kid experiencing something for the first time, but the technology's just becoming to exist itself. So it's a real new frontier mm-hmm. for uh, for kids from back for back then. And I think it's hard to like kind of like describe that to a, a younger gamer these days, uh, so that they can kind of like just kind of imagine what it must have been like, you know? Because we feel those sensations when we play new games, when a new console comes out. It's like, oh, the PlayStation 5 is coming out, you know, or the new Xbox is coming out, or whatever it may be, you know, or NVIDIA is dropping a new graphics card, and we get real excited, real pumped. But we have a relative formulation in our brains of what we're going to expect, what it's going to look like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And back in this time with the Commodore, you know, with the Commodore PET, with the first Atari in television, um, it was a brand new world for everyone. It was a brand new world for the programmers creating these things. It was a brand new world for the consumers and the little kids that were like experiencing these, um, these, uh, well, you know, just having these experience for the first time. Um, And then also, the marketing end of it and the business end of it, this was all brand new frontiers for everyone. And I think there was a uniqueness to that. And of course, the the world culture at the time, you mentioned the Cold War, you know, a lot of uh, technological breakthroughs, um, a lot of stuff was going on, I think, that kind of made it even extra special for young gamers of that time that were just being introduced to this. Sorry, I kind of went on a rant yeah. there. No, dude, you, you, hit, you couldn't have like summed it up any better really I, I think that's kind of like one of my intentions like when i wanted to introduce you to some of those text-based games like zork and things is to realize like that that i hope that sent that message to you that you know even though these things are incredibly basic like we could see that in the future they were going to be better and like you know you wanted to be a part of that and like you also think back to like what it's like being a kid i mean you know, you're you're growing up, and like maybe maybe you're not having a great day or or a bad week, or your girlfriend didn't go right. Like you had this world that you could go to that was kind of yours. Like it was separate from your parents. Like and you know maybe the issues they were having. Like I mean we're all human, mm-hmm. and so it was an escape for me to go in there and get on that thing and, and get into that world of Zork, even though like there were no like shiny graphics. Like it was a world that, you know, you know, I think there's this way that our brains work where if we're sitting still, like there's something I think they call the default mode network where we start worrying about the future and things. But when you're in that game and like, it's kind of, you've got this character, like, like all you're thinking about is that you're in the here and now, like it kind of snaps you back into, to -hmm. that moment. And, and, you know, I think just, the excitement of that like made you put up with a lot of the the hardware problems or the you know the bugginess of it all or the fact that the game might not load um i, I think you're exactly right it there, there's a whole vibe here that that you, you kind of uh you know just just you can't really recreate in this day like like there there's there's tons of differences and things like that and i think that's one of the reasons it's important that we go back and look at these things is that, um you know not only for myself that it just had those special memories and and kind of um you know planted a seed for for the rest of my life but that um yeah it was a 
like like think about the things that kids do these days like when a new app or something come out comes out like it's like you know i remember when facebook even came out like you know like it was a very shortly that you saw that the younger kids once they saw the old folks on there they wanted something new you know and boy mm-hmm. this computing thing like it was all young people you didn't see old people doing it and like so so it was already that kind of world that you could sort of immerse yourself in and and be an individual and um yeah I, you mentioned something uh important there and um about it mostly being for the kids and what I in in the research here, and I'm I'm gonna kind of be the research nerd in this episode, and we'll le- lean on Chuck sure. Tomahawk for real life experience and uh, nostalgic moments. Um, but what I noticed was is when Jack Trammell or Tramiel, I don't know how to pronounce his last name to be honest with you, which sounds like one heck of a guy, man. Like this guy has some story, man. Holocaust yeah. survivor, emigrated from Europe. He's Polish came over here and started kicking ass and taking names, man. But yeah, he created the Commodore International. And they, uh, you know, they started off with like typewriters and calculators, I think, and stuff like that in the 70s. And then uh, I I think they actually bought Atari at some point. They bought Atari Inc. at some point. I saw in an article there, you know, if you want to double check that online, you can. But I, I think I saw that there and they created a Atari International, I think, or Atari Corporation. It was some variant there. And they also created, uh, they purchased a company called Moss Technology, I think, or something, Moss something, which was their chips, which was a huge important thing we'll, we'll touch on. But you mentioned adults and kids and it mostly being for kids, but they did, it looks like, have kind of like, they projected selling this stuff to offices, to corporate, to other folks for, you know, having database, uh, saving database uh, numbers for office uh, office applications, appliances, you know, office applications and stuff like that. But it looks like where it really, really made its mark, especially because of that SID chip, which gave it sound, Mm -hmm. good sound. Uh, It really just didn't flourish in those sectors like it did with young gamers, which is what you're describing with all the youngsters being the main consumers of the Commodore 64. That's interesting because... Like, they did want to get it into the offices, and they, and they did. You know, it did, but really where it shined was with the video games. Yeah, and, you know, as, you're, as we're sitting here talking about that, I, I think about, like, my experiences, say, being at the office of the Forest Service, and, and although we had some, you know, fairly nice computers that the government provided us, Typically, what I find is that in any office setting that I've been in, there's usually like an IT department of sorts that that really knows the system, and that's who the folks go to. And then there might be some person in the office that, um, you know, kind of as a hobby or whatever is into it or does it in their personal life or something that you go to for information and so it, it isn't exactly like the whole office just embraces it sort of like, like and, and so, um, you know, I don't know exactly why that, that might've been, but I will say that like, I think my impression was, is that as kids who had this in 1980, 
in the future, we were going to be those IT people and that go-to guy at the office. And that's what I was for a really long time. It does pass you eventually again. Like, like I felt like toward the end of my career, I was not good at that. But when I was doing graphic information systems, like GIS maps for the government, like, you know, I got way into it there for a while. There's this Esri um, software I got sent to, to, to Ohio to this class four that, that makes maps that's incredibly deep. Um, and yeah, so, that's kind of like what we were talking about earlier about, yeah. um, you being a part of the system and, and that, and the Commodore 64 only being as good as you could make it. Um, yeah. right. So yeah, you had some limitations like that, that for sure. But uh, like I say, you, you kind of sensed that it was going to be better in the future. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it made it exciting. It, it kind of, you know, like we were pointing out like this first smaller versions of, of home computers, like something I could fit in my own, you know, bedroom there. Um, like, so, so there was a ton of excitement. That's why that folks were willing to pay that, that big price for it. And, uh, you know, I think it's why folks are still excited about it today. Really? Um, but there's a, there's a cool article from The Verge. Um, I think it was published back in 2012. Yep, 2012. And it touches on that aspect of being a part of the, the, the use of it and making it, um, you know, learning how to program with it. It says here, there was a comforting sense that your machine was exactly as useful as you could make it. Quote, since learning how to use a home computer was the same as learning how to program it, operating a Commodore 64 in many ways meant achieving a kind of intimacy beyond merely recalling memory tables and knowing the various rituals for loading programs without error. Instead of an operating system, there was a blue-flavored BASIC terminal, mm-hmm. and, the, the, and the BASIC is the name of the, basically mm-hmm. the, the operating system, I guess, even though it wasn't like an operating system we know today. It looks a lot like DOS, MS-DOS today. Yes, exactly. Reading on, it says, And the comforting sense that your machine was exactly as useful as you could make it. Without the the convention-guided rails of a modern modern OS, the C64 was one of the last brightest moments of the DIY computer. Do-it-yourself computer. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really cool. I I found it incredibly interesting that I heard some like article kind of repairing, comparing it to the raspberry Pi, this thing that I've saw like used in that Mr. Robot show. Have you ever watched Mr. Robot? No, uh, it's a, it's a pretty popular sitcom about or not sitcom, but a drama about the hackers. And, uh, it's kind of like a, there's another thing called a rubber ducky. I think is kind of like a, a USB port that, that I can use to attack your system. But a raspberry Pi is kind of like a computer that's really small. And, uh, I've kind of I've heard comparisons back to the Commodore 64 today. Like like it's kind of um, you know open like that in in some ways. I, I don't know enough about it to to like articulate or talk intelligently about it. But but uh, you know there's there's kind of a, a comparison there that I saw. What do you mean by attack your system? Like say if I have some nefarious purpose, like I want to get some information that you have on your computer. Um, 
like, and, you know, maybe I tell you like, Hey, I've got this new game, like check it out. And I hand you that USB port. It'll have that game you want on there, but it's also got some malware that's going to go in there and attack your system. Like, um, you know, get that information that I want and maybe send it to me over the internet or, um, was that like, how was that similar though to the Commodore 64 or how are you relating it? I don't understand. I, I, I think how, um, how, like I say, we're at this, this DOS prompt, like that basic language doesn't have a, a window, like a good user interface. Like you're already in there and oh, you're see. kind of at that place, like where if you wanted to, to manipulate things that you could, because like, you know, loading it and the only thing you can do there, like if you're going to copy a disc, you've got to tap like format, uh, colon mm-hmm. a, I mean, there's a whole ton of commands like that are you got to know what you're doing i mean (laughs) oh and maybe what like i think i know what you mean like is that there's when you have a a system like that there's a lot more accessibility like you can you're you're there's back doors like you're you're already looking into the heart of the computer when you see that that yeah (laughs) getting in there and uh you know manipulating things and you know, I think there was already, like from movies and things, that's how people kind of imagine the future. Like that that really smart kid that was in there, you know, hacking away. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I um, I, I found that like to be one of the frustrating parts about the system, but also one of the exciting parts. It it, it did kind of. Um, you know, you had when you had the manual, you had like all these type in type programs. It was almost like a, a water paint, paint by numbers type thing. Like I didn't have to have the brain power to figure out the program. I just had to type it in. But while you were doing that, you were learning so much about how they worked. And um, um, yeah, it, it just was a little bit different than how I interact with my computer today when I use the the Windows interface. Um, Definitely. So. Um, yeah, I, I know I'm kind of jumping around here. I want to make sure we're kind of getting the, the, the basics and definitely want to deliver the, the who, what, and that kind of thing about the Commodore. Um, well, we know it's a eight bit computer and it stood out, I think, because of two things that we haven't really, <clears throat> sorry, the MOS chip, the, the two things that we haven't really touched on are the MOS chip and the SID chip, which were according to what I was able to research, were really the, the two items that kept it competitive, that kept it, that kept it like a little bit above the other platforms that were out at the time because none of, mm-hmm. the, others, none of the other platforms or computers or systems could really compete with the sound and the color and the processing power of those chips, which made right, it... Cause it- I want to say on the Vic Twenty that the the sound and the the chip were one thing, and and on once they went to the Commodore, it it split into two things, which opened up some doors for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yep. as far as the waveforms and how they could they could make uh, sound, and we talked about that, uh, like the sound on the Atari, like we you know in our last or maybe the cheat code episode, even uh, we talked about how you know in the beginning, like it was a big deal to hear them say "you're out" versus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, 
you know, and then remember the thing I told you about the B-17 bomber game, like like the, the Intellivoice that went with the Intellivision, like kind of was a separate SID of sorts like this, uh, you know, so it was a big deal, like what you could do and like, wow, you can find like people are still writing music for this thing, dude. Like, and, yeah. And like today's games are incredibly complicated and, and um, yeah, you just got to remark it, like what kind of patience someone must have, like to to put to program that you know because yep. like, i'm sure it doesn't go right the first time uh, yeah it had the- <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be some trial and error in there like i mean music is kind of weird anyway like i mean we talk about it in theories like we don't say like this is exactly why this sounds good like that's like you know human beings objectively decide that for themselves like so oh i think um, i think it's a genre on its own you know and the commodore 64 clearly had uh you know it it created that and it, it has it had something to do in the creation of that but this, it, it looks like the cpu was the mos 6510 and they also had an 8500 or maybe that's the same thing but you know it's the mos the mos chip 6510 and it clocked at 1.0.023 megahertz on the ntsc version which is the us and then at point 985 megahertz in the PAL version, which was the UK, the uh, UK one, 64 KB area, 64 kilobyte memory. So that's exactly 65,536 bytes. That's really good. And then it had a 20, 20 KB ROM. Graphics, VIC-2, 16 colors, sprites, and a... Oh, I don't know what this is, but a raster interrupt. And then the sound chip, which was uh, a huge one, the SID 6581. Had a three oscillators, four wave formats, filters, ADSR. It was uh, one of a kind. Yeah. Yeah, and you can see how that, that really opens up a lot, like for, for interaction with the game and... and uh you know, it's uh, it's it's the cutting edge at that point. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I just kind of want to make sure I'm not not leaving. You know, I feel like we have the folks here at Commodore 64 and uh, Jack Tremble. They they, uh, they they I think some folks worked together there in New York, and maybe they they um, took things to Toronto and, and uh, I think eventually there, there's like some home offices in Pennsylvania for, for the Commodore folks. And, uh, you know, this Moss chip was kind of what, what once they, they split that chip into two parts, like kind of opened up the door and, and one of the, their, their sort of motto or, or why they did it is it was computers for the masses, not the classes. And the way I take that statement is to mean that this isn't just for rich people. Like we want, you know, the middle class to be able to, to have access to this. And, uh, you can see how this is a, uh, an imp- important moment because, you know, I would say somewhere out there, some of the games that you and I have played today, like some of the programmers or whatnot, this probably was their first computer and that was their first, um, you know, inter- introduction to that. And they didn't have to be the, the children of rich kids. Like it could be anybody pretty much that got their hands on one of these and, um, you know, 
I think any time that we get those new ideals and, and diversity into a system like that, uh, you see good things, and uh, you can kind of trace those back. Uh, I'm sure the Commodore 64 still comes up in uh, classes for programmers and the like. Yeah. You better believe it for learning how I to program. Like, they, like people, they've made some kind of modification for it where you can tweet from it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Imagine sending that out. Uh, well, what else, Tom Hawk? What else do you got for us on this thing? Any other? Um, um, I, I did want to talk about the peripherals just a little bit. Like, like there are a ton of peripherals for this thing. I, I, I can speak to the fact that that I had a printer and I had two disc, two floppy disk drives, and I mean, you were. You were pretty much shitting in high cotton if you had two disk drives. Like, you were <laughs> like, I don't even know how that worked. Like, I must have had some kind of divider because there's only one port for it on the computer. There must have been some kind of splitter or something that uh, that probably had to come with it. Um, I think you know, so. Separately. I think so because they also had like there was an original disk drive and then they had a couple of variants come out like you know newer editions where on the back of it there was like a little switch thing you could hit with a screwdriver to separate mm -hmm. to distinguish the two inputs and that way you know it wouldn't Sounds. conflict and, and the other thing i had was a printer and uh, i do want to point out that this was the time in printers when it had the the perforated little holes on the side like there was this gear that sort of drove that shit and uh, <laughs> had to pull it, the paper out because dude you might as well have started harley in your room too when you fired that printer up <laughs> <laughs> it was like, <laughs> and like <laughs> every page was connected together and uh i I, I have memories of these printers like like too. It was incredible. The paper was expensive. Like like I remember being at school and like printing something out and the and the teacher being like, who you know, who the hell did this? Like, because there were always situations like, you know, you would think you were just printing a page and you end up printing a whole book or something and like mm -hmm. you know it it go like it might be like a dollar down the drain today, but back in those days, it, <laughs> it was a lot of money down the drain. But it also was cool as crap that you had that. Uh, I, I just remember one of the first things I did is uh, I think my dad was writing down all the serial numbers on like important things that he had or something like that. If they were ever stolen. And like, I remember sitting at my computer without a spreadsheet or anything, you know, just slowly typing those into this basic sort of word processing program that came uh, on the computer on the, the C64 there. And, uh, but man, when you produced that thing and then handed it off, like you, you felt like somebody like you had done something and, uh, also one of the other um you know just kind of again looking at, at input devices and whatnot I, uh, there was some, one of the first gps systems where it was on this this uh they called it the car positioning system i, I think i never oh, yeah. did quite understand exactly how that worked or how you would apply it but uh you know i think you're seeing a lot of forerunners here there there was a uh um music synthesizer type thing that you could put on there um one of the things that i think would be interesting to talk about is the modem experience uh this is something that i i, I can't for the life of me remember who i was calling or what information i was getting i, I want to say there was something called CompuServe. oh yeah and um like i remember sitting at the at the dining table and i had brought the phone over on this 
really long cord and I, and I had like the old landline type phone and I would have to sit the receiver down in this cradle that sent that, uh, you know, as we were mentioning earlier, kind of the kind of noises, yep. the touch tone noises are made into the phone there. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it um, like some of the memories I have of it is that it tied up the phone line. So, you know, instantly my dad would be trying to use the phone and he'd be like, yeah, you're on the computer. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm upstairs. <laughs> That's what the Ovan always says. <laughs> yeah. I'm upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that was a trademark of, of living in my house growing up. Is my parents having a conversation like with each other from opposite ends of the house, and uh, you know somehow drawing me into it. But uh, yeah, I, you know I, I don't have a ton of other like as far as the car positioning. I, I think a lot of these things were were um, fairly obscure as far as you know the the amount of distribution of them but i i think it also kind of points out that because you have this access to the the sort of inner workings of things it was easy for folks to to invent and make new things and and innovate uh which i i think uh we're kind of reaping the benefits of uh at this point in time mhm mhm man and are you familiar with any of these other inputs on here or, or what did you describe them as um expansions um, or because there's there's a, there's a ton uh, of things on this list here. peripherals yeah oops sorry i just bumped the mic but yeah there's a ton of different things on here that catch my eye like uh the hand scanners the teletext the Daisy wheel, the dot matrix, like, like I super curious what all of these expansions were, or how they worked and what they did. Yeah. I see an Apple two emulation box and, you know, but I, I think you, most folks had either the tape drive or the floppy drive and, and a printer at the most joystick, um, maybe a joystick. A action. Joystick. One question I, I tried to ask myself is, I feel like my Atari joystick fit this thing. I, I'm pretty sure that's what I had. I have this memory of playing Centipede, and uh, I think I shared with you before, I was jamming out to uh, Sammy Hagar, I Can't Drive 55, and, and playing with my headset and had my Centipede going, and I'm pretty sure that memory, I've got the, uh, the Atari joystick uh, plugged into the old Commodore there playing. Um, yeah, I think I know it had two ports. Yeah, that makes sense because and those were standard ports. Uh-huh. So like I, I think like you could even grab one of those old Sega controllers from the first Sega system. What was the name of the first one? It came before the Genesis. Was it the Master System? The Sega Master System? Right, yeah. yeah. I think those controllers as well could plug into, you know, the back the back of that bad boy. Yeah, because it's it was those yeah. old school, those big ass ports, you know, with the mm-hmm. with the with the metal spikes and the prongs and everything, and you'd have to Got screw seven or eight. Yeah, pins you in screw there, them right? in. God, it's old. <laughs> and I think another an, another thing that made the Commodore sixty four stand out was that you could have both the RF modulator thing for the TVs, but it also had the the. Um, for color, you know, I forget the name of it, man. The one that has the three cables. Oh, the composite. Yeah. That's it. The, Thank you. Yeah. 
So you could yeah, you could you could choose between both, and that was another thing that made it stand out. And and man, I don't know that I I, I feel like those monitors were more for businesses, like kind of how you mentioned, because I, I I just I, I think my buddy Chris Lambert had one of these at home, and I think he was using the same um, TV kind of situation like I was, and uh, those monitors had to be incredibly expensive. I do see that that like they're sought after today. Like if you're going to go back and play retro games, if you can find some of those early monitors, um, I saw someone had got some from like a TV station that had upgraded all their stuff, and they still had some of that old stuff around. But like you're talking about the best CRT tube type TVs. I know the Sony Triniton uh, flat screen is kind of one of the one of the ones that gets brought up for retro gaming a lot, but. Uh, yeah, man. And hell, yeah. baby, if you only got that RF modulator, you, you screw that bad boy on the back of your TV, throw it on channel three or channel four, and you're going, baby. Yeah. And, it, and you know, there wasn't a lot of color to to things, so it didn't really matter to me that much that it was a black and white TV. Um, but one thing I want to mention, that, you know, as, as we're kind of wrapping up the, the, the vital information about what what this is and where it came from and whatnot is uh i like how it says ready right there right at that prompt it says ready like and and you pointed you kind of made the comment earlier of like you know you're in there behind the scenes and and it's kind of up to you to make it happen and and yeah it basically says how do you want to take over the world human yeah yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) ready it's like Whenever you're ready, I'm ready. <laughs> oh man, that's what that prompt felt like. Like, like there's just tons of possibilities there. Like, I could either, you know, write a game about space invaders, or I could hack into, you know, yeah, and like with this modem here, I could call the Pentagon, and God knows what I could get into. They, like, that's the way the movies portrayed it at that time. I don't oh, yeah, think absolutely. it's like that. No, but it was all uh, a reflection of the times, man. Yeah, because um, when you see the movie thing from back in the day, like when someone's hacking into something, it's always it's almost like it's a video game inside of 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 their mainframe or something. You know, the guy's like opening a door, like he's literally opening a door, and like I don't think that's what it's like. But I do remember um, you would hear him talk about like back doors into programs, like things that programmers had left for their access. It kind of, kind of very similar to how we we saw the 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 origin of cheat codes. Like, whereas you were play testing something, you might have to go back into it. Oh yeah. Like a lot of programmers in these games were like they they left what they would call a back door, and um, I remember learning about that a little bit at school, even in computer classes that we had at the time. And and um, yeah, so so you know, the, like I do, I do feel like there's a little more of a behind the scenes uh, access. Here, um, oh, and when when we when we chose well when you chose this topic and started looking into it, man, I remember in our cheat code episode we talked a bunch about pokes and peaks, mm-hmm. um, which are basically these base commands. I didn't, f- I'm not no no BS. I didn't fully wrap my mind around it until we started looking into the Commodore 64, because I'd go and watch videos of like the top games. Um, little bit of history on it and stuff and there'd be a lot of imagery where you could see where it literally said like the guy was like typing in like poke uh p-o-k-e and then this like long code or algorithm or whatever and then he just continued typing in and was like okay now i get it (laughs) now i get it the peaks and the pokes 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's that yeah. it's that 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 mind that that uh, young mind or whatever you know, just programming into that into that basic basic two point oh. <laughs> and basic <laughs> when, uh, for fellow MPC listeners um, is basically just like the this the command system that it was running on it was a it was actually a a microsoft product if you look into it if you go back enough you'll see that it's actually a microsoft product that commodore used as their you know we'll call it their quote unquote their operating system but if you you know if you can throw up throw it up on google uh just look for basic 2.0 or or you know commodore 64 basic 2.0 and go into images and you'll see exactly what we're talking about just a blue screen, and I think it says on the top, like, welcome to Basic 2.0 or something like that, and then it should say 64, or no, 65,000 plus kilobytes available, and then, yeah, I think it says ready, right? It just says ready, and then there's a little flashing square, yeah. and that little <laughs> flashing square is kind of like the, ooh. It's where you come in. Now what do we do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's... um. It's a different feeling than I get when I when I power up the old PlayStation there nowadays. Like I kind of, uh, you know, I feel like there's an application that's sort of doing all this for me at that it, once I open that up. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's different now when you yeah like when you boot up your PC or your laptop, it you know everything that you want to everything that you could possibly want to use or or deal with is right there, easy to access. Just click of a button, it's up. Yeah. You know, you don't feel as involved with the process of, of that program. You know, you don't, yeah. you don't feel like you're making the program run anymore. It, it's just all running for you, you know, it's made yeah. simplified. And, and, you know, I, I never really got that feeling again, like maybe a couple times in my forest service career, there, there's a program, uh, that was written by a guy here in Asheville actually called V smoke. It, it actually models how how smoke will behave from a from a prescribed burn and uh i i worked with that guy enough like and, and one day he was like you know saying something about the gui that he had developed for that that program and i was like you know i tried to act like i knew what he was talking about and then i went home and googled google gui <laughs> or whatever and that stands for graphical user interface and so you know he had all of this spreadsheet like math type stuff going on behind there but he had to create something for people like me to put in the parameters like the weather that i was getting that day like yep. how fast the wind was blowing and and uh um yeah so so it kind of clued me into that and and you know let me see back behind that for just a second and, and made me realize how smart that dude was <laughs> and then also um yeah it kind of reminded me of of you know back with this commodore access and and i think there's a connection there today to to like i say these uh um you know maybe some of the tools that are used in hacking uh to this date um so but i i think it's important before we move on just to point out that that there are still peripherals and games being made for this today. <laughs> like, uh, oh well, uh, I mean, this is already some years back. Not to jump into the games yet, but Prince of Persia was from 2011. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that that really surprised me. I, I mean, I, I guess I expected somewhere there was somebody, you know, maybe 
retro gaming or whatever, but I, I see a, an incredible sort of uh, interest in, in uh, community kind of <laughs> that's still out there for this thing, and uh, it makes me excited about it. Well, have, have you ever dabbled with any of the predecessors or su- uh, successors of the Commodore 64? We're talking here about what no. would be, out of its predecessors, we got the Commodore PET and then the Commodore VIC-20, both popular. And then after our Commodore 64, uh, there was a, well, not after, but kind of like during and after, you know, all, mm-hmm. you know. Um, in 1982, they released a Commodore Max in Japan. Later on in 83, they released the Educator 64, which uh, I think was, you know, relatively popular. It, would, it wasn't out, there wasn't that many out there. Um, I think they, they, uh, they did it to attempt to compete with the Apple II's hold on the U.S. education market. Mm-hmm. It's from the Wikipedia I was reading that because there was a lot of apples all over in the schools, I think that was one of the systems I played Oregon Trail on back in my Ute. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I, I, I feel like our school, and, and I saw some information that was kind of like once schools kind of went that way, like once they realized the Apple was a little more user friendly as far as that went, uh, it, they, they had a hard time kind of getting that market back, and and really didn't didn't really see a lot of success in in schools after that yeah which is interesting because the the apple II, from what i've gathered here from what i've read was it was so user-friendly almost to a default because it Mm -hmm. didn't have there wasn't like that much that it could do and that's why the commodore 64 kind of was actually uh very competitive and arguably more more popular sold more uh i don't know if that's the case but you know, they, they made their mark because of the fact that there was just so much more uh, peripherals, so much more accessibility as a programmer. Like, you you made the system run. You know, you, you made it everything that it could be, where on an Apple II, you, you could ne- couldn't necessarily do that. So you got a Honestly, lot more bang for your buck with that $595. But in regard to the educational scenario, you know, the classroom, Apple was already in. You know, they'd already see, gotten in there. I, I see that still going on to this day, like like sort of a philosophy behind both companies. Like when I compare Android to iOS, like a, like people that, that use their Android phones, like typically they're a little harder to use in the very beginning. But once you kind of figure things out, you can highly customize it more so than the Apple iPhone. But the Apple iPhone, almost any person like with any ability can pick up and use it right from the very beginning. Yep. But it, it doesn't go as the, I think that takes away some of the customizable, you know, custom ability to it. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's a pretty good analogy for what was going on right here. Maybe like that and, Apple too. And adding on to that, cause I've had both, both phones. And I ended up going back to the Apple phone because I just felt like it was more reliable. Like mm-hmm. maybe not as customizable and, you know, I couldn't like run two screens at the same time or, you know, there was no little little stylus pen on, on the one that I had on the, you know, there was, there was a stylus pen on the Samsung I had. But anyways, um, the, the iPhone was always more reliable yeah. in many regards. And I think that carries over into the same analogy. It's like I've never had a virus on my iMac, 
but I sure do get them on other things. I haven't so much with the latest iterations, but kind of the, the windows before that, like I constantly had to be running some sort of virus you, protection. You got to stay away from those dirty websites, man. Oh, dang it. <laughs> it was for research purposes mm-hmm. only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek ladies uncovered. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The real last frontier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so, you know, okay, and then after the, the Commodore Educator 64, they released in 83 a what looks like a portable Commodore 64 called the SX-64 has the distinction of being the first commercial full-color portable computer. While earlier computers using this form factory only incorporate monochrome green screen displays, the base SX-64 unit features a 5-inch color cathode ray tube CRT and one integrated 1541 floppy disk drive. Man, I don't think they sold too many of these, though. No, and and I, I I feel like those were the things that probably did get marketed more to like electronic stores than say the electronics department at a department store. Yeah, and, and that was probably one of the things that until we did this research, I really hadn't heard of them because of that. Uh, yep, yeah, that that was they Commodore did well by getting their their product into the retail stores, into those big department stores. Oh, yeah. And television did that, too. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why they were able to sell so many units, both of these companies. Yeah, Yeah, I think at times, like, you can see where, you know, like, in that Intellivision thing, like, you saw, like, CEOs kind of get in there, and and they made some decisions about when to release things and stuff like that based on money, and and it kind of hurt things. But here's a situation where... You know, that larger distribution network, even though the Commodore probably had to to tailor it to fit that, it did, you know, make it end up in my room, which it never would have, um, you know, if it hadn't. So, Well, whatever um, they did, they survived the game crash of uh, 82, 83. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, they... I think, like, yeah, it was kind of an uncertain market, and, you know, you could probably see how investors and things like that maybe... (laughs) because of a possible lack of interest in consoles or, or the market being saturated with them, maybe they're going this opposite direction, you know, of the PC, um, you know, that it's kind of the beginning of that market. Uh, but I think you bring up a good point with that. Um, well, I think just, because, you know, Tra- Trammell, Jack Trammell and his people, I think they just made smart choices. You know, they, yeah. they, uh, I don't know if this is accurate. I saw it and read it in another article, but I think it costs them around like 150 bucks, less than 150 bucks to to manufacture a Commodore 64, and then to turn around oh, and I didn't see that. yeah, and then to turn around and sell it for 5.95, you know, at least in the initial uh, market release. Those are good. that seems like a good margin, you know, of yeah, cost and, and then cost and then sale price. Well, and then to have all those peripherals that they're going to need to buy, I mean, you, you've kind of created a market there for yourself in and in a, in a, in a uh, sustainable future for your company. So um, that had to feel pretty good because they were letting a lot of money slip through their hands with the software. Um, that it, is a good segue. 
Yeah. <laughs> Software. Yeah. Please. Please. Yeah. You know, like I say, I definitely feel like we we've uh, we've covered pretty good. Uh, you know what what this thing is and 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 where it came from and whatnot and and why, and and um, yeah, that that kind of leads us into to the next thing that that I think it'd be good to talk about would be the software and uh, you know maybe touch on some of the games that I actually played for this system. But but what I started to mention there about the software is is that if you had two of these floppy disk drives, there wasn't a lot stopping me from. You know, you stopping by and saying, "Hey, man, I like this Dick Dug. I'd like to have a copy of that for me myself." <laughs> I'd be like, "Well, don't you worry, <laughs> little tiger. I got you." And I'd whip out my disc drives, and and we had a blank uh, disc, you know, that we'd had to purchase there at the Kmart. And and like I said, I'd have to get that manual out and look at those. I'd have to format your disc first to to receive it. Yep. And you know that took some doing, but once we got that done, I, you might leave there with a copy of that game for free you know <laughs> no and gosh dude those floppy disks were classic man i i just like whenever i see a picture of one of those old floppy disks it brings back so many memories um and i bet you i bet you there's tons of younger gamers that don't even know like what those are oh yeah I have no clue yeah, no idea because because very shortly they were replaced by the smaller not floppy yeah disk. i think the three inch it was like the yeah, three inch one, but the first yeah, so ones were massive and you could like, you could fan a Pharaoh with those bad boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 You could keep yourself cool. Through a Bring me two and... floppy disk and I, for the Pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> Cooling them yeah. off, eating them grapes. Eat my grapes from you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That was a whole different time, but, but being able to do that. And, and did you see any of the information about where like once they like, game makers started trying to stop this like i think uh there's a game called uh maybe dr j and larry bird like they sent you this it almost looked like a, a decoder ring or something like you've got this little cardboard thing and you had to line up all these things to to get your specific code that went with your version of the game oh i saw that yeah there's like a uh an up down and then a left to right and you and and they'd ask you like yeah. please enter the first or whatever digits appear and then you'd yeah. have to yeah they came up there one of them was like a a spinning wheel like a color-coded mm -hmm. like a, exactly what i'm oh talking is that the about, one you're yeah. talking about sorry my yeah. bad my yeah bad. yeah which is fairly interesting because at, at some point um i I, there was this thing when I was in grade school. It was called uh, the tag program that this local community college had, and it, and uh, you could go there. Like it didn't count towards your your regular school, but kind of as an extra thing, you could go there. And and I did, like, and I went and took this computer class there. And the very first day of the computer class, they handed us out these punch cards. And they showed us what the first computers looked like. And they were actually like mechanical. It, like it, it, you had this card and it had all these different places that things could be punched on it, almost like in a spreadsheet. And when they would run them through this mechanical thing, where a hole was at in that thing caused it to register a number on what you would actually call the computer that had no electrical parts. It's just a mechanical thing. And so... And the reason they showed us that, as I assume, was to kind of teach us that that's exactly what's happening in this ones and zeros, this binary system 
like that that is the lang that creates the language of this computer. It's like a, a step even deeper than say you know if the Google the GUI the the interface is what you know we're looking through our window now, and then you have the the, the computer language behind it. But this kind of showed like where that language, you know, kind of got its starts or or what you know That's cool. enabled them. Yeah. Yeah, I found that that really interesting, and and these little uh, decoder things that they sent with that that remind that that they reminded me of them, and I, and I bet like programmers at that time were exposed to those on a regular basis. Uh, so, um, well, they had to do whatever they could, I guess, to yeah, slow they down used the kind of a technology that they knew uh, of sorts uh, to do that. But uh, those were few and far between, and I think further on into the eighties, as things went on, they they got more and more elaborate. And uh, you know, just like you see with like when I buy a version of Windows today, I've got a code I got to put in, you know, off the back of it. There, um, I just don't think they had the they they didn't have the tech yet or the 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 know how to to prevent copywriting really i mean i just there was no way to no. you know they were that's that's part of what like i was describing earlier is this this was still a very new world even for the very own people that were creating these devices absolutely and i don't know that it had been decided yet that you shouldn't be able to make a copy of it after you bought it like like i mean i think yeah, they did I in the legal like, world they, in the legal world there was you know uh limitations there because um well, one of the games I wanted to mention is called The Great Gianna Sisters, uh-huh. which is it's like clearly a, a copy of Mario. <laughs> it's so obvious, man. I, I, I agree with you that, that the precedent, like like the cases probably existed or whatever. Like, like you know, like you couldn't like go take a Boston record and, and copy it and, and put their same songs out. Like the, the precedent that, that, you know, creative um, things like this were property were there but far as the laws being on the books like had there been a case like where it had been applied to this computer technology like i'd say if there was it wasn't it hadn't happened a lot it's kind of like like you see today where we're trying to catch up with um social media like like you know is it against the law for me to slander you on social media like yeah yeah that's probably wrong but is there a law against it already like maybe not you know so yeah i'm actually looking it up right now uh, there's there's what is it called there it is the digital millennium copyright act when did this come into into force the del- the D- Digital Millennium Copyright Act is a United States copyright law that, impl- that implements two 1996 treaties. Okay, so I'm I'm not familiar with the U.S. Uh, you know, f- with U.S. law, I'm definitely not uh, knowledgeable about any of that. But if this M- Digital Millennium Copyright Act also uh, covers gaming and like gaming titles and gaming licensing and everything like that, I'm sure it has very broad language and covers everything. But if that's the case, it looks like, you know, this is all coming out in 1996, 1998, way after. Yeah, you're like 10 years from <laughs> So maybe there was just a whole running of the muck of game copying and, and actual game developers. Because it's one thing for, like, me to go over to Tomahawk's house back in the 80s and him like, hey, man, I'll trade you, you know, I'll trade you... I'll trade you, let's see here, that 1984 Ghostbusters, if you get me on a date with your sister, hell yeah, bro. And you just copy it right there. You just plug in the Commodore 64, start copying the game, and then I'm off, and I'm stoked because I just got a brand new game for free. That's one thing. 
but for companies, developers to go out and be like, well, Mario's already got its licensing there, but we want to make this game anyways. Screw it. We'll make it and call it the Great Gianna Sisters. And then mm-hmm. they go and make a game that's clearly like yeah. stealing their stuff. Yeah, that's different. Off. You know, that's a whole yeah. other level right there. And that was happening all, all over. Yeah. Yeah. Like there was sort of, uh, like we saw with the Intellivision, like, like kind of it was like people wanting to cash in on this, like how they sold their rights, like for Tandy Vision to make that clone of, of theirs in, in the games. Like, yep. like, you know, it was one of the things that led to that crash of 1983 is that it sort of let the quality go out the window and it, 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 it saturated the market in some ways, but, but I like in your first example of like you being over at my house, wanting this game, I could also see how that if I had paid for the game, like I might want to make a, an extra copy of it, like just to back it up, a, like a backup copy or something like, you you know, you can see how like, you know, I might be angry. Like, like we're used to that today. Like I know I can't backup copy my, my version of arc or whatever. And, you know, and I'm definitely not going to make one that I can share with you or whatever. But yeah. it, it, in in those days that hadn't really been established yet, in, in my opinion. Maybe that's why now when you turn a game on, you'll see at the very bottom, it says like any unauthorized use, distribution, copying, yeah. whatever, whatever of this game trademark or anything's related and there'll be like a whole long list is strictly prohibited and can be you know sanctioned under the law that's probably why that comes up now is because of all the commodore Mm. copyright like all that stuff going on (laughs) back then i mean not just with commodore you know i'm not putting it on on commodore but you know i mean there's something to be said when you look at the numbers and they say that if you add up all of the office office applications database applications and video games there's over 10,000 uh 10,000 you know forms of software yeah. so there's over like basically you know there, if you collect them all you'll have about 10,000 floppy disks sitting there on your on your uh, desk oh, there yeah, that's dude. so many games that's crazy dude i think the nintendo had like like maybe 900 games or something total or something like like in its whole history of the NES system, the, the first NES system. Yeah. So 10,000 games. I mean, it's not just games. Like there's some office applications there, database collecting programs, but yeah, the vast majority, let's just say half, let's say 5,000 just for shits and giggles. 5,000. That's so, like, if you go online and, like, watch videos about the Commodore 64, these people are, are buying them on, like, Craigslist and, and uh, eBay and, it, it, like, specialty online stores and stuff, and they'll just go and buy, like, a box of games for, like, five, ten bucks, and you'll get a whole box filled with Commodore 64 games that are still in their floppy, you know. If you get lucky, you can find them with manuals still or those, like, don't copy wheels and deciphers yeah. so that you're getting an original product and everything. It's awesome, man. You find people's taxes in there. (laughs) (laughs) He's a little income tax return from 1986. Like, what? Damn, this person broke his hell. Why are they buying Commodore? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You made $20,000 a year? (laughs) Hell, that was probably good money back then, right? Oh, I'm sure it was, yeah. Yeah. It was was different, and it, it... I I, I kind of miss that in some ways that like as, we, as we've kind of gone back in, and explored this one of the things I realized is because of these numbers that we're talking about 10,000 applications 
like everyone's experience with this thing is different. Like I've, I've discovered from my research, like that my experience, like I didn't play the best games for this thing. And I think it's interesting that we point out at this time, like 1985, I think was the release of the Nintendo Entertainment System. I'm pretty sure I went and started gaming down there in the living room. I like I left the bedroom where this Commodore was set up, and I never went back. Like I, maybe to use the word processor or whatever, and like kind of visit this game that if my friend came over that also had one or whatever. But we would rather be playing Kung Fu. <laughs> on the NES like yeah uh, that, I mean that thing gosh the NES was oh, we don't want to talk about that right now we'll probably have a whole episode on the NES but it was it changed the game well it simplified I, feel like, it. I, I think for me like this the, the 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 console versus PC battle was over as quick as it began like it, you know I, I I think in my mind I was I wanted to be on my my console like i'm not having to type load and yeah all, i'm not having all these problems and it, it just it, it it was way more accessible and and it had the titles that were in the arcade and and you know not that those didn't exist on the commodore but it just wasn't available to me but uh so so my experience with this thing was some of the first games for it. I feel like, you know, before it got into what it became, like I played these text-based games that, you know, I felt like kind of, as I pointed out earlier, it kind of showed just how how rudimentary and, and how like thirst for this outlet and, and this new world that, that I was. Like I was willing to sit there and like... Uh, Spend hours this, trying to figure out this. Zork One. Did you did you get a chance to play a little bit of that emulator? Yeah, I did, man. Um, but How far did, did you make it into the house? Is my question. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck no, dude. I like I read the leaflet. Uh, I got to the leaflet part, read it, and then I was in the yard, you know, and the and I tried opening the door, but it was sealed, like boarded up. And uh, I kept typing in commands, trying to figure out, like, like, what do I do from here? I read the leaflet. The door's locked. I'm in the yard west of the house. And, um, the f- dude, and I just, like, geez, <laughs> like, I, I keep typing in words. I'd be like, I'd be like, okay, use, like, um, I don't remember what to put. It. I put something in to, like, try and get the door open. But it, it kept coming up saying, like, I do not know the word whatever. Or I do not know the word mm-hmm. so-and-so. And eventually yeah. I just said, like, man, I could see how it's in, like I, I am tempted to go back because I want to get into the house somehow. And I can see <laughs> how for a text-based game, they did a really amazing job of creating that, um, that mystery that in our yeah. monkey brains we need to resolve. We need to solve the mystery. We need to solve yeah. the puzzle. And it's uh, a fascinating interface. I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little, like, when you said, well, you got to try it first before we hit record and we talk about uh, the Commodore 64, you got to try Zork. You also mentioned it was in that Big Bang Theory episode. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of Sheldon's favorite games. He mentions it. It's, it's, uh, I think they have a retro gaming night and everyone's, they're, they're picking and, and he's like trying to make the case for Zork. <laughs> That's a hard case to make, brother. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's like I wanted to go retro, not like 1800s. Like, <laughs> you might as well be playing Where's My Pouch? <laughs> Life without butter over here. 
like, yeah. So yeah, uh, I, I did try it, um, but I quickly was like, okay, I, I don't know what else to type. But I didn't, I didn't, I, I honestly jumped on there because I wanted to see what you were talking about more than yeah. I wanted to authentically get into it and like uh, thoroughly play the game. I will jump on there again because I do want to at least get a little bit further because it's uh, for the listening NPCs out there. You know, you got that blue screen that we were talking about. Uh, of course, you load the game, and then it comes up, and it just kind of has, it just says, west of the house, and it describes, like, where you are standing, and it says that you're standing kind of, like, to the west of the, I think it's the White House. It, it is a White <laughs> it's House. A, oh, a not... White House, okay. Yeah, it's just, it, and this is all in a text, and it just says, you're here, you're at this place, and you're standing by this thing, and and then it says, like, there's, like, a prompt, and the little that little box is flashing, and it says, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And all you can do is type stuff in. Mm-hmm. All you can do, and it, and it says, oh yeah, and it says that there's like a mailbox. Mm-hmm. So like the first thing I typed was, okay, well there's a house, I'm standing in a yard, and there's a mailbox, and I just put open mailbox. And it says, the, oh, the mailbox has been opened, there is a leaflet. And it yeah. just, that's how the game kind of starts to advance. So it's your first shot of dopamine right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a right in- thing move. <laughs> right in there, baby. Spanking in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, like, yeah, and I got my little what's, my little hit of Zork 1. And and one of the things that blows me away about it is that it'll, it'll it's really hard. Like, I, I will throw this out for you. If you go back, like, you can type the directions, like, north, west, north, N, W, E, and S, and it'll send you in that direction. And you can type L, and it'll look around again. It'll kind of, like, assess where you're at again. It'll it'll describe okay. where you're at again. And sometimes you can get some information from that. And you will ultimately find that there's a window in the back of the house that, that you, can, uh, you can interact with. But... I remember getting into the house originally like like this is just how weird this game is like like it's hard as shit to do anything but one of the ways that you can get into the house is that you you push that leaflet under the door and you po like like I think it maybe even says something that you can see a key in the lock from the inside like an old-timey lock where the the key kind of like the older kind of key so you poke something in there and that key falls out and hits the leaflet and you pull it back out and get the key and like like it's that complicated but yet you know you type in like pick up key and it says i don't know the word pick up like, yeah exactly you know, you're just like what the fuck <laughs> how can you not know the words pick and up <laughs> yeah it just and i i i find to like I would love to have a map for it. Like I'm sure it exists out there. I think it would take away a lot of the the thing. But what what I remember doing is drawing a map as I was playing it. Like I had a piece of paper out, and I and I started mapping all that that stuff out. You know, kind of like if I go north, it says eventually, you know, the for you need a machete to pass through the forest here. Or, um, but, um, well, that's crazy because like, and the text game, text based games. There's a few of them. There's a few of them that were on the Commodore 64, but you know when you look at like the one of the later games released in 1993, it's called uh, there's one called Mayhem in Monsterland. The graphics on that thing are remarkable. The color usage, the sounds. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you can check it out, you can pull it up on Google. And if you look at 
you know, Zork one versus, or, mm. or, or, or planet fall, which I think is another mm. game that you played. These mm. are just bare bones games, you know, text space. And then you go and look yeah. at like monster and, 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 uh, and excuse me, mayhem and monster land 1993. When was that? That was when released, uh, was, was when that was released. Huge, huge, huge difference. Whole universe of difference. There's still, like, in my opinion, like, with that 8-bit graphics, I remember, like, trying to draw stuff with that. And, like, it, it always had something that was missing. Like, yeah, I see, like, where people have used that today and they're making these awesome graphics. But it's always, like... You know, something would be out of proportion, like the guy's head would be too big for his body or something would be out of whack. And it, I, I think it for me, like one of the things I'd like to point out is I think it one of the reasons I don't know much about those games is just I would look at them and I would think, eh, I'd rather be playing the Nintendo. And, and I just that wasn't where my. You know, my yard mowing money went like it, it was. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the NES, you know, it came ready to go, man. So it cut out a lot of the the struggle. Yeah. If you can have you know more pleasure, less struggle. Unfortunately, we're 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 wired to to find the path of least resistance, and that isn't necessarily always the best thing. I mean, it wasn't a bad thing in the case of Nintendo. I mean, the Nintendo was a great platform. The original NES, so I, you know, I'm. I don't think anyone's gonna throw blame at you there for preferring the NES over the Commodore 64. But I guess what I find amazing is that, and this ties back into what I was saying about it being a brand new world for programmers and and gamers and um, enthusiasts, and even the own people that were creating these things was. No one had any idea of what that little machine was going to be capable of. And you have games like Zork 1 that was actually released before the Commodore 64 came out. I think it was on the VIC-20. But you got the Commodore 64, you know, starting off in 82 with very simple, you know, people were just starting to figure it out. Nobody had a clue. Uh, They knew what the, the specs were. You know, they had this new sound device that had a lot more flexibility than the sound chips from like the Intellivision with the voice master deal or whatever that was that you were, that mm-hmm. you were describing in that episode. Intellivus, yeah. And then, um, you know, so they come out with this SID chip and this new, um, Moss chip and they're like starting off to see what the world was, what the, what that platform was capable of. And then eventually they started making full use of the sound capabilities they started making full use of the 8-bit and the 16 colors. 16 colors. <laughs> so when, you know, the more, just like we usually do as humans, the more we started using the system, testing its, its limits, seeing what it was capable of, the company, uh, Commodore, uh, Commodore kept releasing equipment to maximize it, you know, um, memory cartridges, uh, all of these peripherals and expansions, and just the 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 community becoming more knowledgeable on the on how to use the Commodore, you ended up with some of these games towards the end that were just like tip of the spear with uh, yeah. with graphics and really maxing out the capabilities of the of the system. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I think we have the, the, the hindsight to know that this market is going to continue to grow and that, that computing power is going to double every two years and, and kind of that Moore's law thing that we've talked about before. And, and you didn't know that at the time. I mean, as far as like, like the home computing market might've been a flop and, and it not have continued. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, um, <laughs> it's some interesting time. I'd love to go back there. And uh, I, I guess I'm almost wondering, like, if I, I followed that that path, like if, if, you know, maybe the this had been more entertaining to me. And, and you know, I could see how, if, how like, a, a PC gamer of the time, if I wanted to start that console PC conversation, you could say, well, I can make copies of my game. Like, how are you going to copy that cartridge? And, you know, I can modify my game if I want. Like, you know, I can poke and peek and I can do these things that, that you can't do. You know, I could see the case being made and I could say, yeah, yours costs $595. Mine costs, you know, $200. And, and you know, there's there's this back and forth that, that kind of you, you see it starting. And, and, you know, maybe some people prefer one or the other. Um, I like to go both ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing like that? Why are you making those faces? <laughs> I like computers and I like consoles. You weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're talking about computers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've I've kind of came back to that, but I I think like um, yeah, what I'd love to convey to our listeners is is uh, you know this moment I think was what started me having a a preference for the console and. Uh, I agree with you. It's never like I said, you know, I'm never going to touch a computer, but maybe I saw it for, for different things like more word processing and data storage and, and that kind of thing. And I was going to get my game and fix, uh, you know, on the console, mm-hmm. um, which I think is interesting. Yeah. And it's, it is interesting. I mean, and the consoles are, you know, they're, they're beasts, especially the new consoles coming out. I mean, We've got the Commodore 64 with 8-bit, and now the PlayStation 5 is, I think it's 256-bit. So mm-hmm. that's huge. You know, that's a massive jump, and there, it's only going to go up. Um, and you can see how like, you can make that same argument, like it's not customizable, but this computer that I've got here is highly customizable. Um, y- you know, a lot of the same sort of pluses and minuses pros and cons of these exist to this day um yeah the only con is that you don't have rust downloaded not playing with your boy (laughs) ovox dude i do have rust downloaded what are you talking about (laughs) oh shit (laughs) we're gonna have to to touch base here after we're done um what up what's up with this planet fall and jupiter lander man you got this written down here that you were playing these a lot Back in the day, so Planetfall, I feel like is a is like the next evolution of the text based game. Um, it, it it had this incredibly just well done packaging. Like you had this whole sort of mission log and all these things in it that I remember just getting sucked into. Plus, I think it kind of wrote a little bit of back on the back of R two D two. Like there's a character called Floyd that's like this robot that kind of ultimately make I don't want to give away the game spoiler alert like he kind of makes the ultimate sacrifice for you Aww. in this game and and yeah like like you know how like R2 kind of did that too you know like he was carrying the message from Princess Lee and like 
you know he was he, willing he, to go the full distance yeah like like you could see his heart you know in there and uh you know we talked before how there's only so many tropes like so many stories that are told and like like this is one of those and and uh, uh planet fall hit that like right on the head for me i i, I think it was the it was the, the almost like a workbook type thing that you had with it like that connected it there was um um, there was something that kind of went on on TV. I think I had something as a kid called picture pages that went along with the Cosby show. And like, it kind of reminded me of that. Like, like there's something about like connecting those two things, like, like having this, you know, hard, uh, tangible thing that you can, you can interact with here. Um, you know, is, uh, kind of that memory, but I, I think I really enjoyed Zork and, I, and it just, it led to the purchase of this planet fall game and, and uh, and following through with it. Uh, like, like, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, like I want our listeners to realize like the games that I, that I brought up uh, for us to talk about once I really started looking into the games, like these were not the best games. No for man, this not at all. In fact, they were all text based and all the other yeah, games were, were like, damn. Like, the only the other one I brought up was Jupiter Lander. It's kind of a clone for this Lunar Lander uh, game that was in the arcade and on some other sim- systems. And I do remember playing that, like, and it being more like a traditional video game, like that is a little more finished product with graphics and and that kind of thing. So, uh, uh, yeah, that did look a. You know, I, 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 but ultimately, this is my experience. Like, this is what I remember. And even though these are some of the most rudimentary games, like I do have great memories of them and. Uh, and it was really fun to, to like anticipate your reaction to the Zork and and that kind of thing. And I also went and watched some videos of other people playing it and uh, and learned some things myself. Like, like you know, I, I was only ten years old when I was attacking these things, so I, I've gotten a little smarter and wiser hopefully since then. You know, Zork has a few Easter eggs out there. One of them, it's in the outline that we have, uh, was that it was featured in. Activision's 2010 Call of Duty Black Ops is an Easter egg. In the main menu of yeah. the game, the player can get up from a chair and find a computer. Typing Zork into this computer will start Zork 1. Zork 1 is full, full version. <laughs> fully playable on Call of Duty Black Ops, in case you guys want to get into it, you know, <laughs> get yeah. after it. Yeah, I, I think it's in there. Like, I, I think... Um, you know, it just kind of told you what was possible here, like this adventure that was going to take place in the, in these games, like like these folks at MIT, obviously, that that put this on that mainframe uh, first. There, I think it was the MIT Dynamic Modeling Group or something. It was it was called? Um, there, there were some smart dudes like there in the late seventies, um, and you know, I'm, I'm going to use this analogy of like music, like you had this thing going on with music, like, like music kind of, uh, was really the songs were super happy and that kind of thing. And, uh, um, then you had Bob Dylan come along and start writing songs, uh, you know, that were much deeper and that kind of thing. And so, so it, it kind of said, okay, this is where music can go, or, or this is where, you know, our next artist will start writing about in, in this fashion. And that, I think it's almost like you see these guys doing something similar here, like, like just kind of laying that groundwork for adventure in this world that we escape into. Um, yeah. And I feel like considering the amount of games that were produced for this machine, man, so many, I feel like there may have been every kind of developer you can think of, like huge development companies, tiny development companies, independent dudes that got like maybe independent deals where they could, 
I just feel like they were just pumping games out like like crazy. Because Dude, and it's still going on today. Like like that's what's what's crazy about it. Like there's competitions today, like where the the prize is to get your game published off for this thing. <laughs> I, I mean, it blows my mind. Like who's doing that today? Like <laughs> And they've they've released new new versions of the Commodore sixty four. Of course it's not the original eighties uh bread bread basket version, but you can get like I think it's called the C sixty four mini and it comes with all new, you know, tech inside i think it even has an nvidia chip in there you know hdmi all the full kit so it's yeah. it's held it's it's uh it's holding its place in history yeah 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 i think that's one of the things that makes it makes it fun to look at it um well you know that kind of covers the games i played like I say i i i i you know, definitely apologize to listeners that that I didn't uh, get into some of the better games and have some more firsthand knowledge of that. But, uh, um, you know, we did kind of in, in our research, uh, I, I saw a number of games come up and uh, I think it led to two really funny things or good things I want to talk about is uh, I kind of came up with my top five weirdest Commodore 64 game names. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. yeah, I got a list too. Also, um, we we uh our buddy over there at Retro Dodo had had composed a list i think as of 2021 what it considered the the top 22 best games uh that it ever came out for the for the system uh yes i think both those things would be fun to talk about maybe we could just do the top 5 of retro dodos cuz that's that's a very long list yeah. but let me uh pull that up too here cuz i've also got a couple of lists including a weird names list but man, like, if you just go like type in list of Commodore 64 games, there's so many games that Wikipedia had to break it down into two separate like lists. Like yeah, like a like a encyclopedia yeah, a, or a through whatever, and then whatever through Z. You know. Yeah. Um, all right, all right. You want to start with the uh, weirdest weirdest named games you could find for the Commodore 64? We'll do one and one. You can go first, and then I'll bust one out. All right, I got my list here. Um, well, <laughs> I want to start with Woody the Worm. <laughs> what year? Do you have the year? Oh, man. I don't, I don't have the year for oh, Woody. I'm thinking that's an 80, uh, 80s game. but uh, Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> it better be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me see here. Uh Pool of Radiance, mm. 1988, which actually was a Dungeons and Dragons game, licensed. Interesting. But I like the way it's <laughs> Pool of Radiance. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we got a deep pool of radiance around here. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> Get her done. Uh, let's see what else I've got. Um, I'm just going to go for the juggler right away. Is Cock in. <laughs> Jeez. Seriously? Oh. There's a game called Cock in where you play as a chicken. Okay, okay. And, oh, man. Uh, I think you end up getting beat over the head with a frying pan at some point. Uh, I saw, and um, yeah, you're pretty much just putting your cock in different situations. Great, <laughs> like, great. That's beautiful. 
All right. My, I'm going to go for the top one that I could find. It's called Graham Gooch's Test Cricket. <laughs> <laughs> Graham Gooch's Test Cricket. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, next one I got here on the list. Uh, no, it's your turn. It's your turn, Tomahawk. Um. I got Bozo's Night Out. Like, <laughs> really? That doesn't sound too crazy. That sounds like something we would see in today's times. It's a it's a game where you're you're a drunk, and you you walk you go to the bar, and you have Bozo's Night Out. And if you bump into people, you end up in the hospital. <laughs> it's pretty much just surviving being a drunk. <laughs> I found one here called How to Be a Complete Bastard. <laughs> That's the name of a game. <laughs> what is up? Commodore 64. Got any? I, I got a thing on a spring. How about that? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh, man, there's too many. There's there's too many options. Um, Did you see there was a strip poker game? I didn't. I didn't, man. There's Samantha just too many Fox options. Samantha Fox strip poker. Um, a couple of the games that that kept popping up for me everywhere and all of the top top 10, top 15, top 20 was a game called Load Runner, which was particularly popular in the U.S., anxiety-causing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another game came out in 1984. This was on a lot of the tops. And this was a clear copy, in my opinion. It's called impossible mission (laughs) and uh yeah you know not to be confused with mission impossible (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel like tom cruise maybe stole this from uh from them possibly but uh um yeah i i think that comes out number one on on uh retro dodo's list and yeah and on a lot of lists uh, that i saw but not one of the things i gotta find it real quick is because i don't want to screw it up um is that that impossible mission game is known for uh, a voice that would come. Let me see if I can find it. As soon as you'd start the game, it said something to the effect of, I can't find it and I don't want to, you know, waste too much time looking for it online, but you'd, you'd start the impossible mission game and you'd kind of just like fall in there or like you take an elevator or something and you're there and it would, and like a voice would come up and say, uh, a visitor, Stay a while. Stay forever. <laughs> and then the game would begin. And that's like the wow. like that was it. You just you'd start the game and <laughs> this weird voice would come up. A visitor. Stay a while. Stay forever. <laughs> and that's what kind of like made that game stand out, it looks like. Dude, you're like I feel like you've really got the vibe of this thing because like like just when you're saying that, like I could picture myself like say spending a whole weekend at my house when I was ten years old, like with some type in program where I got it to say like "Happy Birthday" yeah. Yeah. <laughs> via your own like, programming. Yeah, and for a while it would be like "Happy," <laughs> like I'd have to go back and fix that, you know, and like, but. You know, it's just like, like even like something simple like that, like was, it's the first time you're seeing a game do that. Like it's the first time, like, especially you affected that change yourself. 
and um yeah i i think um you, you know you can see why they would centerpiece something like that is my point like because it probably was groundbreaking compared to what they could have done with that vic 20 chip mm-hmm. um you know they they were kind of you know seeing where that sid chip was going to take them uh, absolutely but, um I want to mention Ghostbusters that showed up on a lot of my list. And I think like it's kind of like one of the the reasons that I heard is that it kind of captures that, that essence of the the movie. It does. The Um, music is like spot on. Yeah. Yeah, I saw like like some gameplay like where you got the traps and you got to kind of go hit them with the plat. The uh, I forget exactly what those things are called, the plasma blasters. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you had to trap that thing, and and yeah, I could see it. Like like I didn't play it, but I I, I could certainly see it. And I remember like just being super into that movie. So uh, um, totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, what else do we got here? Um, one of the really kind of like a hidden gem, and it was 3D, was Train Escape to Normandy, released in 1988. And there was also like a stunt jumper game where you were in a car, and it was kind of like a first-person view. You're like, oh, sorry, I bumped the microphone again. You're sitting in this car, and, and it was a 3D uh, image before you of sitting in the car, and uh, you're just going on these ramps, kind of like a roller coaster thing, and you just stunt and stunt driving and you just catch air and it'd go like (laughs) and since it was a frontal view using very simple lines the developers were able to create like a 3d track that you were going on real simple like it was kind of like a first person kind of view like you couldn't see your car like you're looking out the windshield you could see the front of the car and the hot rod like you know, pipes coming out. I guarantee out. that's the first time that ever was programmed. And I saw that game you're talking about too. That that train game looked fun as shit. I, I couldn't believe, like, like one thing that blew me away was how much Nazi symbolism was in well, there, but I guess it fit the well, game. Well, yeah, it escaped to Normandy. Yeah, so so it, like my first reaction was like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> like, Dude, it was, it was like cool, but then, half train simulator, half, uh, half, well, like, like in that game, you, you'd be driving this freaking train, and then you'd go into a different view, and there'd be, like, planes flying above the train, and you'd shoot them down with, like, a like a beachhead type of style thing. Like, the, there'd be just, like, a turret on the train just going, and it was all 3D. You know how fun that had to be, like, compared to, like, your basic 2D side-scrolling game? Like... I mean, the way that you were riding that train and you were shooting those people off to the side, like, like I thought they nailed that. Like, that looked fun as shit. Like, I, <laughs> I could, I could see that being fun today, even. Oh like, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I just feel like you know this is almost like a golden age of sort of, of gaming, like where you know so many things haven't been done before and. Uh, you know, it, it, it just like, like you say, some of those do stand out as, as, uh, as innovators. Um, Jack, I'm sure yeah, saw Jack Trammell and the Commodore company, man, they, they created something that made its mark in history. And not only did it make its mark, but it, it, uh, it held its place for, well, I think it was from 1982 to 1994. 
Wow. So, you mm-hmm. know, 14 years-ish, a little more, a little less. And today it continues to be a topic of interest and of development. And um, it holds the world record, you know, for units sold or for best, you know, home computer system, whatever, mm-hmm. what, you know, whatever the details on that are. That's That's clearly an established record. And uh, it's one hell of a little system. Like, I'm definitely going to get on the emulators more just to play some of those games, you know, to just to experience them and, well, get the most I can out of it. You know, I don't have a Commodore 64, and I, I don't think I'm going to get one. What you can do, you know, I think you can find them for like 50, 60, 70 bucks, maybe more, maybe less. I'm sure you could find them in Japan all over the place. But uh, in the meantime, we got those emulators. Yeah, yeah, that'd be something fun to do. Like maybe we could we could know, connect and play Zork together, man. That'd be fun. Like yeah. you know, like all right, John, what do we do here? What do we do, Tomahawk? Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be fun to get like like even uh, like Pepe involved. Like I think he would. It would be funny to watch his reaction to it. Too, like, <laughs> you know, being just a tad bit younger too. Like like it 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 was fun for me to to. You know, to hear you talk about what what you saw and 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 yeah, I, I I think you know the the takeaway is just that like in these games, like even the, like when we're playing Ark, you kind of get out of it what you put into it. You know, when when you buy in and and ex, and sort of you know, like I talked about when I first played, like how I was really conscious of uh, that I was in a three D simulation of sorts. But now that I've been playing for a while, I mean, I feel like I'm in a real world, like. You know, and, and uh, it's amazing how that it's not, it doesn't have to be the exact quality of the graphics. It, sometimes it's the story, you know. Es- and Yes, especially with um, the Lander, not the Lander game, the uh, Jup, what is it, what was it called? Jupiter Lander, yeah. Ju- Ju- not Jupiter Lander, what was the other one, Tomahawk, that you played a lot? Planetfall. Planetfall. And, and, uh, Planetfall Zork. and Zork 1, games like that. Um, there's another, there's a couple of other text-based games. Those games, man tickle the imagination like yeah. you, you they're in, they're tickling your imagination cells up in there in that brain and you know trying to get yeah. you to to create the world on your own just using little simple directives like hey like with the case of zork you're standing mm-hmm. outside of a white house in the west yard there's a mailbox what do you want to do and it just like <laughs> it's like oh man yeah. like in your imagination and uh, it just sparks that, you know, it really puts that into the, yeah. into the hands of the, of the end user, which is something that, um, in other games, isn't quite as much the case because they're kind of, they're doing that part for you. They're showing you, here's yeah. the world. This is the objective. This is the end game. This is what you want to do here. Have fun. And then with the game, with these text based games, you know, that you're, that's all put into your hands. Yeah, you you almost see like a comparison of the difference of watching a movie versus like maybe hearing uh, the book read on a on a on a on a radio program or or reading a book. Like, you know, I think I've heard radio described as the theater of the mind, and and you know that this has a little more of that. Like, like there's a little more like you got to do it yourself rather than, um, um, you know, it, it being depicted for you on the screen and and I think that leads to tons of individuality um you know the way you approach that will be different than the way I do yeah it's almost like almost like open world games in a weird 
in a weird way. Obviously, it's not, yeah. but, you know, kind of open in a sense that it's as open as your imagination. Ooh, yeah. 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 And, like and like we talked about that dopamine hit, like when you got that, that mailbox that to open. That dopamine hit, to... baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, imagine, you know, when you found an Easter egg in there or something, you know, something. Because uh, for me, I, I see like this is inspired... Um, like what is it the, the the Odyssey the book called the Odyssey that talks about Hades and, and Homer and all that like like you you see like there's sort of a an inspiration from that 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 uh, that they've taken here and um, yeah it kind of kind of drives my imagination in that case like like I, I I think in school I probably was forced to read part of uh, the Odyssey or whatever and and. Uh, yeah, that that was my first exposure to this kind of underworld kind of uh, vibe, and and that's what I take from Zork. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. beautiful. Well, I think we've covered most of everything. Um, what are your takeaways from this, Tomahawk? What's your Just the, final comments on this piece of equipment here that you had a special relationship with? Yeah, I, I have a few. Like like I say, I feel like it was the beginning of, of for me personally of of looking at, at, at comparing consoles to PCs and, and uh, like I kind of went with the console. Um, it blew my mind that just how popular this thing was and how still popular today that it is. And, and uh, it was just really fun to go back and look at it. And I hope, uh, hope that the listeners kind of, kind of feel that with us and, and, you know, we'll do some research of their own and, and maybe play an emulator or two of these things and, and, and think about that. Like, you know, just how I said, like it, it, it really boils down to what you put into it. So, um, you know, maybe when we're playing arc, like, you know, maybe I just let myself go into the story a little more. Uh, I don't know that I could get too much more into it, but, but yeah, just, just appreciating that fact, you know, that you kind of get out of it, what you put into it. Um, Absolutely. how about you? What, what was just like some of your takeaways? Man. You know, I thought about this last night and I had a really good, simple takeaway. And now for the life of me, I can't bring it to the surface to remember but I think I think the takeaway is that the Commodore 64 set the ground the groundwork it set the you know it kind of like established the path for a lot of different things that we experience today just Mm -hmm. in terms of in terms of developers being able to learn how to get the most out of a platform that they plan on publishing on. You know, I think the Commodore kind of, kind of set the scene for, you know, that amazing things are, are, are possible if you maximize the potential of, of the, of the technology. Um, I think it, it set, uh, it set the, the stage in a lot of ways for creativity as well and that's kind of that kind of piggybacks on the my first takeaway but creativity and i think it also set a lot of uh i think it set the stage for a lot of other things that aren't necessarily um gamer experience related like licensing issues um marketing mm-hmm. sales game production uh i think it it really just established a lot of things for the future of gaming and PCs. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, and they killed it. <laughs> you know, they killed it. They did a mm-hmm. great job. Uh, they sold a lot of units, made a lot of games, made it a very accessible piece of machinery to the masses, which I think was a great thing. Um, that's not really a takeaway necessarily, but I think they also set the stage in a lot of ways for or for future consumers, you know, bringing it to everyone, kind of maybe being the first system to come to everyone's door, not just the upper echelons of, you know, the society there. So, you know, my takeaway is uh, I'm grateful to the Commodore 64, if anything. Yeah. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm excited that I got to experience it and, you know, kind of, uh, definitely want to, want to revisit it some more and hopefully see some of these games show up on a, on a console compilation type disc. You know, maybe at some point I'd definitely check them out. Hell, they're probably out there. You know, now that we're diving into these topics, we can check it out. Um, I'm definitely going to go back and try out Zork again and some other games, I think. Yeah. Yeah, check that window in the back. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, on the east side of the house, I believe it is. (laughs) Well, all right. I think we should wrap this one up, Tomahawk. We've had a good episode here. What do you think? Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, We got some uh, contact information maybe we should share with folks. I think so. Uh, You want to drop that on them? Yeah, we've got a, a a Gmail account there at Ovox and Chuck at Gmail. That's O V O X A N D C H U K at Gmail dot com. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, hit us up. You know, this podcast it's a small one. We're independent. We're just uh, trying to have a good time with these convos. But for us to get out there and to get to more ears, we really are depending on on you, the listening NPCs out there. <laughs> <laughs> if you like us, please you know give us a review. If you're on the uh, Apple Podcast, uh, five stars and a review would be amazing. That would help us tremendously. Even if it's a horrible review, where you're telling us how much we suck, um, as long as it's five stars, we'll we'll give you a shout out. We'd love to hear. It. We'll, we'll read it out loud. Doesn't matter. <laughs> um, Don't discriminate. <laughs> yeah, a huge shout out to the our first s- subs there on YouTube. We're very grateful. And um, we also got a Facebook now, if you want to follow us on there. It's facebook.com forward slash New Wave Gaming Podcast. Um, you know, no, no underscores or periods or anything like that, just fluid. Facebook.com forward slash New Wave Gaming Podcast. We'll come up there, drop us a like if you like, follow us. And yeah, we really appreciate uh, the love and support. The more you share us out there, the more yeah. we'll get out to other listeners and yeah, we'll keep having a good old fun time here. Yeah. Special shout out to the folks in the UK. Maybe we'll send you some ranch dressing over there or something <laughs> like that. <We> <laughs> so, yeah, I'll send some flan for my parts, man. Yeah. yeah. I tell you what, I was playing that rust, you know, and you get into that stuff, man. You start crafting satchels and bean cans and explosives, man. I woke up this morning tempted to go like, raid my neighbors, see where they were stashing that flan, baby. <laughs> flan in that orchata. Mm, that uh, tasty flan. Sometimes on the weekends, I just want to, you know, break all the rules. <laughs> Go order some God. pizza, flan, boneless chicken wings. 
Uh, Dude, lucky. I'd be down there at Lucky 23 getting that flying right now. <laughs> Eating an octopus and a flying. <laughs> <laughs> what a combo. With a classic mark. Yeah. <laughs> or some Pacificos. I'd probably go Pacifico. Maybe a shot. All right. Sounds like a plan. I look forward to it. All, All right, Tomahawk. Uh, well, all right, everybody. We really appreciate you tuning in and look forward to talking to you in the next episode. Tomahawk, I love you, man. Love you too, brother. Peace. Bye.